0: And welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network and Happy International Women's Um History Month. And I'm gonna say happy to my sister in law, Thetna Wati. And uh that was Marcus Shelby's There's a Bomb uh in from his um Soul of the Movement. And we are just gosh, so excited to be speaking today. With the co-author of C.T. Vivian It's the In the Action Memories of a Nonviolent Warrior um, Steve Pfeiffer And it's literally hot off the presses Because this is the month that it's out, right?
1: (laughs) That's right, Wanda It comes out officially on March 16th It's available now on Amazon And uh, will be in bookstores in a couple of weeks Oh
0: cool, cool. So with um the pandemic, do you all travel? Like are you gonna be coming to the San Francisco Bay area on your book tour?
1: Well, that remains to be seen. You know, we are being very cautious with uh with the pandemic, so if that does happen it will be later in the in the summer I'm afraid. Uh we're doing mm-hmm. a lot of Zoom and radio and television like uh, your wonderful show, but uh no travel at the moment.
0: hmm Okay, well we'll look for you um in some of these uh um uh, pre these post or these in pandemic kind of moves with regards to um the um uh the virtual uh, book talks and book travels, so yeah, and then when you can actually like be in the store, that would be so cool, right? <laughs>
1: oh yeah, it it makes a huge difference being able to relate face to face with with people, and it's always great when people come through the line, you know, wanting their book to be autographed, and they tell you a particular story about whomever you've been writing about. So I I really look forward to being able to do that because I'm sure that uh there'll be a lot of people that come to these events that uh will have had their lives touched by Dr. Vivian.
0: Mhm. Yeah, certainly certainly um yeah, this is a really wonderful book and I mean it's just you just don't want to like you can't read through it quickly and you don't want to because it's just every moment is like, really? That really happened? And and the memories that are shared are just Awesome, and then the way that you sort of like use uh, archival um, documentation to uh, augment um, Dr. Vivian's uh, memories is just really phenomenal. And then that you you continue, you know, and you finish the book, you know, um, you know after he made his transition on that really heavy day, you know, like wow, CT Vivian makes his transition the same day as um, as John Lewis, like. What like the whole earth? It seems like it was like it was like a major. We have earthquakes here in California. Um, so right. Like well, how would you how
1: California. would you like to be the um, the funeral director who picked up both Doctor Vivian and uh, John Lewis within hours of each other, and their caskets were actually side by side in the funeral home for several hours. It's that that. It's just kind of mind blowing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely mind blowing. But let me let me tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, is your last name pronounced Pfeiffer? Yes, it is. Okay, so Steve Pfeiffer is an author and community activist whose distinguished career includes collaborations with the likes of Dr. Quentin Young, personal doctor uh, to. Martin Luther King, Jr., Robert Jordan, former ambassador to Saudi Arabia, and James A. Baker, former U.S. Secretary of State. He is the co-author of Jimmy Lee and James' Two Lives, Two Deaths, and the Movement That Changed America, a Harlem Book Fair nonfiction finalist. He is also the co-writer of Southern Poverty Law Center's co-founder, Morris D's two award-winning memoirs, A Season for Justice and Hate, on trial, he currently serves on the advisory board of the Civic Leadership Foundation in Chicago, a nonprofit that serves underprivileged youth. So, for our audience that's not really familiar with um, Dr. Williams, why don't you why don't you tell us about him and 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 situate um, the civil rights movement within the context of of today's um, uh, sort of attention to racism and or structural racism and white supremacy and the movement for black lives. Like people might wonder, like, well, you know, this was that was all well and good, but that was then and this is now. And and there's definitely a currency to this.
1: Absolutely. Uh well Dr. Vivian was born in nineteen twenty four and lived for a time in Boonville, Missouri and then uh he grew up in a household that valued education and religion and uh toward that end they moved into illinois where they thought they would encounter less racism he could uh go to a school that was nominally integrated and there was a church of god in christ in that town and so he started school there and he was a rambunctious kid not uh you know, the, the subtitle of our of our book, as you know, Wanda is uh, "Memories of a Nonviolent Warrior." But he became very adept at using his fists as a as a uh, elementary school kid, and then kind of had this awakening that that wasn't the way to to solve problems. And mm-hmm. he uh, he encountered uh, racism in high school, growing up in in uh, Macomb. I'm sorry, and uh, also uh at the university, and everybody he you know at, at one point Martin Luther King called him the greatest uh preacher to ever live, and everybody saw that in him from a from a very early age and were pushing him to go to seminary, but he said that he would not go until he God actually spoke to him and that happened to him much later than it happens to a lot of a lot a lot of people he was in his 30s and with a, already with uh, a family and he moved to Nashville in the mid 50s entered uh American Baptist Theological Seminary and I'd say for some of your viewers who, our listeners who may be familiar with uh with the musical Hamilton, which talks about how, how could it be that all these amazing founders and revolutionaries were in one place at one time. Nashville in the 90, early 1960s, late 1950s, was exactly that for the beginnings of the civil rights movement, the modern civil rights movement. You've got Diane Nash, John Lewis, mm-hmm. Bernard Lafayette. Uh, They're learning uh, nonviolent direct action techniques from Jim Lawson, and they uh, start the Nashville student movement there in 1960, and that is responsible for integrating the lunch counters and department stores in Nashville, which was the first city uh, below the Mason-Dixon line, where, where that kind of movement was uh, was successful, and uh, one of the one of the pivotal moments in in that uh, movement came when uh, April nineteenth, nineteen sixty, when a, a bomb went off. Uh, in the home of the lawyer who was representing, an African-American lawyer who was representing uh, students in the, in the sit-ins who had been arrested. And so Dr. Vivian and Diane Nash and others organized a march after that bombing to uh, go down and confront the mayor of Nashville on the steps of city hall. And 4,000 people joined in. It was the largest civil rights march to date. And there on the, uh, City Hall steps, Dr. Vivian demanded to know whether Mayor West of Nashville was a Christian, was, was in his face and asking, you know, are you a Christian and how can you behave in this manner if, if you're a Christian? How can you uh, sanction the segregation of, of facilities in your, in your town? So that, that was a pivotal moment. He moved on to the Freedom Rides then he joined the uh, SCLC as an affiliates director. So he was in Birmingham. He was in St. Augustine, Augustine. He was in Selma. And then after that, he was quite the visionary and uh, saw that the next real battleground for the movement was going to be in the north. So he moved up. I'm, I'm just outside of Chicago as we speak. And in the mid-'60s, right at the same time that Dr. King moved here to Chicago, uh, Dr. Vivian moved to Chicago and worked for four years on issues of jobs and training uh, 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 ministers to uh, be active in their communities. And uh, then he eventually moved back down to Atlanta, where he was active in – Supporting black businesses, a black uh, a black bank, and uh, starting a organization to uh, help major corporations with issues of inclusion and diversity. But he was to your point about contemporarily, he he was always pushing forward. In, you know, in the move in the movement, and was. Uh, very, very disappointed in uh, 2013 when the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act and uh, and at the same time was delighted but not satisfied when uh, Barack Obama was elected president, something he never thought he would see, but also saw that there was still so much to be to be done and he continued to uh continue to be active into his you know early early 90s but he had some questions about now he he passed away in July of of last year as you as you noted and and the George Floyd uh murder took place in May but he wasn't really in any shape to you know to be involved in that as as he was getting close to his to his passing, but he was a strong believer in, in the continue continue to be in nonviolent direct action and a strong believer that movements need leaders and a, and a really strong particular focus on what is it exactly that they want and who's organizing them so that chaos and offshoots that aren't pushing for what the goals of the, of the uh movement are don't interfere with uh with the major goals
0: mm, right, yes, um I want you to talk a little bit about how <laughs> you know your relationship with uh, dr vivian and and how you all came to work together on on this particular wonderful. Um, You know memoir Reflection history book Um, But also wanted to know if you could um, I don't know if you have any um, Sections that you'd like To share marked off but I it was really hard, to like, to be able to hold all this information in my mind. Um, I don't know if it's because I was reading when I was sleepy or what, but, huh. <laughs> I mean, it was just like when I was thinking, like, gosh, how am I going to, like, talk about this? It's just all so, it's just so much. Like, he just did so much. But I was just thinking about just sort of, you know, um, I think it was Diane Nash when he was talking about how, you know, she – didn't have a direct experience with the South because she wasn't, you know, Southern born. And, right. and how, you know, we have this intellectual um, understanding of, oh man, that was so bad. Right. And these folks, you know, our people are just suffering, but it's just all just in your head until you actually go down and you see the signs and you experience what other, American citizens of African descent. If you're a person of African descent, um are experiencing and that sort of really really changes everything, right?
1: Right, for and, for her and in, in in particular. Yeah, she goes to mm-hmm. like I think it was a state fair or some, you know, some kind of public event and sees that yes. after she's transferred uh to Fisk in Nashville. And uh, and and see separate facilities, which she had never, you know, experienced. Look, she had experienced racism in Chicago, but not the kind of separate facilities and and so forth that uh, she experienced at at Fisk. And then when she decided that she wanted to get involved uh, in the movement, she initially was uh, kind of disappointed that there weren't as many other students that were as, you know, wanted to be quite as active as she was. But then, you know, all these folks, uh, Lewis and Vivian and Lafayette and Nash, they, they found a home uh, with uh, James Lawson, who was teaching uh, nonviolent direct action that he had learned by actually going to India and studying uh, and studying Gandhi, and Dr. King had suggested that Lawson, you know, go down to to Nashville in the late 50s, and uh, so N- Diane Nash and Dr. Vivian and others uh, really, you know, learned from him and and. Wanda, those those we described the the workshops that they had to be trained in nonviolent direct action. They went through mm-hmm. these exercises where someone would you know put a cigarette butt out on them and you know to test them so that they didn't respond in a in a violent or or physical way to that. Or they you know people they were getting kicked and by their peers you know so that they could just you know be kind of conditioned not to respond as most people would if they were being abused in in that fashion so mm-hmm. uh yeah if you'd like me to i i'm I'm happy to describe because it it's really one of the uh personal and professional you know highlights or milestones of my my life and uh and uh my certainly my professional career in terms of uh, connecting with Dr. Vivian, who you know had long been a, a hero of mine, although I, I certainly didn't know as much about him as I did when we when we worked on the book. In um, in about 2013 or 14, I was working on the book you referenced called Jimmy Lee and James, and that's a book about uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson and uh, Reverend James Reeb. Uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson being a, a black uh, wood woodcutter in uh, Marion, Alabama, and uh, James Reeb being a white Unitarian minister working in Boston at the time. And uh, during the effort for voting rights in Selma in uh, February uh, and March of 1965, each of them was murdered Jimmy Lee Jackson by a, a white state trooper, and Reverend Reeb uh, by three they, uh, It's questionable whether they were exactly members of the Klan, but they were certainly virulent white racists. And uh, so we used uh, that those two seemingly very different guys who were both foot soldiers of the movement as a way to look at at the voting rights effort in in selma during that time and for researching the book i called dr vivian in atlanta and uh we had just the the loveliest conversation because he was so intimately involved in selma at the time and as as i say in the book you know he called me doc and said he he wished he'd been a journalist and i'm thinking like Oh my god, you're one of the most influential people you know in the country, you know, and have had such an amazing life. You wanted to be a journalist. I'm glad you were you did what you did. And uh <laughs> we 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 talked about it was amazing to me Juan, that he had you know here he was like at that time he's like 90 years old and he had never written an autobiography or a memoir. And so we talked about doing it, and then, you know, it's it, it, we both got busy, and uh, then a couple of years later, the family called and said, the city of Atlanta is building a a multi-purpose uh, park near the football stadium, and one of the the key buildings in that park is going to be the CT Vivian and Octavia Vivian. Library. Dr. Vivian was an avid reader from childhood on, and, and collected books of African American uh, literature, poetry, nonfiction accounts dating back all the way to colonial times. Phyllis Wheatley and 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 so mm-hmm. forth. And so he don' he was donating that collection, and they were building a library in that park, and the family thought, oh. You know, we need a, a a book about him that will be in the library. So when people come to visit this place, they'll be able to learn more about him. But it quickly became apparent that you know, book a, a book about CT Vivian should not be limited to the people who might visit a library in Atlanta. This is his story, which is as broad as you suggest, uh, should be told to as many people as possible. So that's when we began working on the memoir. there was just a lot of interviewing and, uh, taping. And then as you know, towards the end as as he was getting older and his memory was fading and, and so forth. That's when, as, as you point out, I had to rely to some extent on, uh, past speeches, past sermons, uh, other, other archival material and, and so forth, uh, to supplement the book. But I think as, as you suggest, I'm, I'm glad you picked up on it. Um, I I think when you see what is in effect his CV at the end of the, at the end of the book, you realize what a life he really led. I mean, he went to over 40 countries where he consulted with, you know, state leaders and, and, and uh, grassroots groups on issues of human rights and, traveled all you know traveled all over the world doing that plus so many other things in the United States.
0: Mhm. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Do you want to share something um from the book? Sure, so I can could hear... you know what? Mhm.
1: I could um I could read the uh prologue which
0: Okay, sure. He found and very and I want let... to Okay, sure. And then also we want to let our audience know that um that you have a forward um in uh, it's in the action, Memories of a Nonviolent Warrior, by Ambassador Andrew Young, which is really wonderful as well.
1: Right. He uh yeah, they were they were tremendous friends and uh Andrew Young has said that if not for the iconic moment where uh Sheriff Jim Clark uh pushed uh Dr. Vivian down the courthouse steps in Selma as Dr. Vivian was attempting to register uh, local people to vote that mm-hmm. there may very well not have even been a voting rights act of 1965 because the uh you know nowadays Wanda, we have cell phones that ca- that capture thankfully a lot of a lot of bad, bad action that takes place between law enforcement and and uh, individuals and particularly African-American individuals that gets that gets captured and hopefully leads to to some kind of of response and uh, accountability. But in those, you know, back in 1965, we certainly didn't have that. But it just so happened that. one of the major news networks was filming that that day, and so caught the um, the incident on on film of Jim Clark pushing Dr. Vivian down the courthouse steps, and broadcast that on the nightly news, and it really inflamed uh, Northerners uh, to see that kind of uh, inhumane behavior and led for greater lobbying for the Voting Rights Act of of that time. But but Young and Vivian were were close until the until the very end. In fact, uh, I think at the funeral uh Dr. Young uh Andrew Young said that uh C T Vivian was the and Jimmy Carter are the only two people he knows who maintained the weight that were the same weight when they were in their nineties that when they were in their thirties right. or forties.
0: Yeah. I remember that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we have, by the way, as you, uh, you know, the, at the, one of the, I, I uh, the, the funeral was because of COVID was uh, very small, basically for the, for the family only in a few very close Atlanta friends. And, but fortunately, it was streamed and, and broadcast on the Atlanta television stations, and I was able to watch, and uh, it, it was really a remarkable homecoming, and uh, in addition to uh, an a amazing eulogy by Gerald Durley, who was uh, Dr. Vivian's pastor, uh, there were taped uh remembrances uh by just well Joe Biden who at that time was candidate Joe Biden uh Oprah Andrew Young as you mentioned the late Hank Aaron uh Bernard Lafayette so it was really it it was really an amazing tribute and we have uh the transcripts of all of those brief oh. but touching uh tributes in the um, in the book as well Mm-hmm. Wow, but I yeah. if you want I could read uh just read the the prologue to you because Dr. Vivian one of the very first things he showed me was the ring the ring he wore. Uh mm, and yeah, that's a great story. And so this is the prologue which we titled uh When We Came Out of Slavery. Friends, if you want to begin to understand me, my family, my people, I invite you to look at the ring with the family crest I designed years ago. Do you see the blackness on the upper left with a handful of stars peeking through? That's slavery. We farmed the land in those dark days, but we did it, but we did it under peonage for others. When we came out of slavery, we continued to farm because that was the work we knew. But it was different now that we were free. We didn't have to work for anyone else, and when possible, we could buy farms for ourselves. We were doing that, and we were winning, but then came the Great Depression. It knocked us down, but it didn't knock us out, because during this time, we were switching over to books, to knowledge. That's why my grandmother and parents were so committed to the fact that no matter what happened, I was going to get an education. This is a commitment I've continued with my children and that they've continued with theirs. You'll see that above the book that signifies learning on the ring, I've placed clouds. That's imagination. We don't learn solely by reading books. It's the imagination that goes with the education that creates something greater, the vision, See the sun on the ring? It rises on a new day, and if you look closely, you'll see that it creates a cross. The cross. That's what has undergirded us in slavery, undergirded us in peonage and coming out of us of it, undergirded us in owning our farms and belongings, undergirds our intellectual life. That's the only way we get to the new day that we really hope for. That's why nonviolence becomes tremendously important. It has to be a spiritual thing.
0: Mm, nice. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, and congratulations on this wonderful work. I'm sure um, Dr. Vivian is really pleased with it as he looks at what the goings on here, you know, in this realm. From his you know the other realm where he is presently, and perhaps you know we can have you on again, maybe later on you know this year, um to talk more about the work and and how it's going um with regards to his reception because we didn't get a chance to nearly touch on <laughs> on his'd be I really, deli- you know, would love for you to talk about his grandmother and you know his wife oh
1: i'd and i'd be delighted wa i I must say it's always a pleasure to to be interviewed by someone who knows the book and that's this has been most enjoyable because of your your understanding and knowledge so i I'd, I'd be delighted to come back whenever you want.
0: Oh super thank you. And and lastly um i i my other guest is in in the uh, studio but i really wanted to give you an opportunity to say something about Vernon Jordan cuz i'm sure <laughs> you know with your work with Dr. Vivian you had to have, you know, had um
1: i don't know if you had audience with him but
0: um, I know you know his No name. I
1: didn't, but I mean I, I know. Interestingly, you know, I did my my politics are very far from the politics of former Secretary of State James Baker, but mm-hmm. uh it was a very it was a very interesting uh interesting world and his his world and and Vernon Jordan's cross. They were both kind of in within the establishment very, you know, uh Highly respected figures who were very civil and knew how to work behind the scenes very well to achieve their goals, which were very. Di- I mean, they had very kind of different uh, political goals that they were trying to achieve, but they're they're kind of they're kind of parallels in in that they were, this, you know, considered very classy and uh, bright. And uh, and very politic as well. But certainly, you know, uh, Vernon Jordan's uh, resume, uh, his, uh, you know, his activities in in the south and and elsewhere are are just like Dr. Vivian and and so many of of these of these people. That were you know devoted their lives to the to the cause or it's it's just wonderful it's it's sad that he that he passed, but you know it one of the one of the great things about dr Vivian you know was the fact that he lived to ninety four a lot you know we we lost a lot of heroes uh who were assassinated or or just died young and and some of the folks like uh Vernon Jordan and dr Vivian were able to, you know, continue the battles uh, into their uh, into their later years.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Well, cool. Well, thank you so much again, and um, good luck on, on the release of the book coming up in a couple of weeks or a week. And, uh, yeah, look forward to having uh, further conversations a little bit later on in the year.
1: Okay, thanks so much, Wanda.
0: Oh, you're quite welcome. You take good care.
1: Bye bye, same. Bye.
0: Ah. Uh, we are going to be talking to um directors and um a lot of directors uh, and about the Women's Voices Now Film Festival, which is taking place, I believe, um, uh Ariane Ariane uh Ariane. Is it um the eleventh of, of March?
2: Hi, Wanda. Um, thank Hi. you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, so um our festival is coming up very soon on the eleventh of March at eleven AM. Right. Yeah,
0: I um I'm hearing a lot of feedback or something. Um 'cause I, I I have um clicked the microphone of one of the directors, but I don't know which one. Um I don't know the phone um, number.
3: Yeah. No, so if no, you maybe everybody if you done. could
0: um if you could mute yourself, that would be helpful. <laughs>
4: let
0: me see,
3: let me try this again.
0: Okay. Okay. okay, I found the person.
3: <laughs>
0: are are you still with me? Oh no. Oh darn, got rid of the wrong person. Oops. Darn. Okay, let's try this again. Uh uh-uh. uh. Hi. Um is this um Ariane? Ariane? Oh, no? Oh shoot. Oops. <laughs>
4: Can
0: you not hear me? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 I um like I said I've got three three people and I didn't know the prefix. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> so worries. no 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 so I I I uh, muted you accidentally and then I had to go through the whole lineup. So <laughs> well, I was like okay let's are. start again. So obviously um, we're running a little bit late. Don't worry you'll get your full time. <laughs> so I hope people don't have things like back to back to back because that's a, that's sort of like not how we flow here. We sort of like flow flow like for real flow. Um, so back to start it again. So we're so happy, you know, to have you with us. Um and pronounce your name for me again. I'm kinda like messing it up I think.
2: Of course, no worries. Um it's Ariana.
0: Ariana, like, uh, okay. And how do you say your last name?
2: That's that's a whole other job. It's uh House. Thielen
0: House. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ariana Thielen House. It's oh, less so complicated hard. than it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's not that complicated at all when you know how to say it. <laughs> and exactly. you are the director of programs, um for uh Women Voices Now Film Festival. And um I can read your bio if you like. Um I went to the website, so um Women Voices Now and you just go to the um our team. <laughs> And a
2: lot of great women, you know,
0: great photographs. Thank you.
2: Thank so, you. We just updated our website. So I'm happy
0: to oh. <laughs> happy to hear the <laughs> time. Yeah, it looks very good. You've got a great photographer. Um, so you again are the director of programs and partnerships director, and I believe from mm-hmm. yesterday you were saying that you're you're kinda new to the team. Um, the program has been around mm-hmm. for about ten years and, and you just joined about a year or so ago
2: yes um yep that's right i've been with women's voice now for about a year now um almost exactly Mm -hmm. actually um so and it's been it's been a lovely ride so far (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um why don't you just
0: tell us a little bit about yourself and how you come to women voices now as opposed to my reading your bio
2: of course happy to um so um as I want to mention, I'm the director of programs and partnerships for Women's Voices Now. Um, we are a nonprofit organization um, that uses film to um, use a social change film to further women's and r- girls' rights um, around the world. And um, I've been in working in social impact for about almost coming up on 10 years now. Um, but I came to women's Voices now because I actually volunteered with them um at an event um I, about a year and a half ago now um that was uh, featuring some of the youth films that come out of our uh, wonderful summer youth program and so when i when I attended that event, I left just in tears because I was so overpowered by the incredible work that these young women were doing and and the stories that they had to tell um and so i immediately you know connected with our executive director heidi and i said how how can i how can i do this how can i stay with y'all um and you know the stars all aligned and and here i am um and i'm very grateful to to be able to do this work um i've i've always been very passionate about women's rights um and about uh furthering kind of social impact uh both locally and abroad
0: mm-hmm Right, yeah. So tell us about the festival this year and how people can make sure that they are there for all of the, I guess, awards and screenings and talks and all that great stuff that happens even in a virtual setting. (laughs)
2: Yes, thank you so much for asking that. So our festival, um, it's Uh, The the focus of our festival is to promote women and femme-identifying filmmakers who are telling critical stories about women and girls. Um, We're really thrilled about this year's festival. um, We have a keynote speaker who is Helen Mirren, if you've heard of her, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, And our theme is Stand Up and Be Counted. Uh, rewriting convention and challenging injustice to forge a new path ahead um, and and the reason we chose this theme is because all of the incredible films that were submitted and, and that were selected um, tell this year really have been focusing on community on how women can come together to you know to fight to change to inspire um, and, and to move us closer to a world where we have uh, gender equality um, our festival um, as want to mention it our event is taking place next thursday at 11 a.m uh, pst um, you can buy tickets um, on stand and be counted 2021.eventbrite.com. Um, i'm sure if you also just kind of go on eventbrite um and 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 search for our event you'll find it there or you can go to our website womensvoicesnow.org and you'll find all the information you need there Um, And as a uh, ticket holder, you don't just get access to the live events, but you will also get access to all of the selected films for one month of on-demand access. Um, So that's really, really exciting. You know, these films are important. And by kind of uh, attending the the festival and watching these films, we're all um, also supporting filmmakers that are telling important stories. Um, And one last thing I'll say, um, and then I'd love to hand the mic back, but... um, if mm-hmm, sure. individuals are not able to um, purchase tickets because, you know, there's a lot going on in the world, and, and we realize that access to financial resources can be a really big barrier, um, all of the information is on our event, Eventbrite. Um, you're more than welcome to request a waiver code, um, and, and we definitely just want to make sure that everybody can attend the event if they are interested. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Oh, how, how lovely. Wow.
0: You all must have a really great fundraiser. I mean this is like <laughs> so like wow. How <laughs> wonderful. Oh, thank and you. um yeah, do you want to uh, maybe introduce before you take off um our first director who is going to be joining us, um the director of um let's see uh, Natalie uh Cook who is the director of backwards god. Do you want to introduce her?
2: Sure, absolutely. Um I'm I'm just really thrilled um that that i want to thank you so much for providing the space um but we're we're getting the chance to introduce three of the directors who um or of the filmmakers really who submitted to our festival um natalie cook is actually the director writer and producer of backwards god which is uh pretty amazing um and this, this you know i'll let her speak to the film because she knows it best um but i i just want to congratulate her on her work and on um Yeah, and on, on, you know, focusing her art on on these critical stories. Um, So really excited for you to chat with her and and for us all to learn a little more about her
0: inspiration. Okay, super. Well, thank you so much, um, uh, Ariana, uh, for for joining us and to, you know, just tell us about the the wonderful Women's Voices uh, Now Film Festival, which is kicking off at 11, on the 11th. (laughs) Of March, and uh people can go to the website Women's Voices Now Film Festival to get all the details about the festival, and you definitely don't have any reason to not be present and and we're so excited, Natalie, to have you join us. uh your film was phenomenal backwards God, the writing is like, "Oh my God, so beautiful, Oh, thank you so much that that truly means everything and thank you so much for having me on the
5: show. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're quite welcome. Tell us about your film, all those beautiful women and and the men, I guess who are like allies. Yes. <laughs> in yes. the work <laughs> and in the in the cinematography. Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> where um, you know, where are you shooting?
5: <laughs> oh, thank you so much for these questions. Um so I can definitely cannot take credit for the cinematography. That is my dear dear friend um and co-producer Jason Cermak. Um, and we're both from Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where we filmed it. Um, and yeah, the inspiration came um from I, I originally wrote the poem a few years ago and I wrote it because um I unfortunately experienced um a lot of harrowing events um, that I didn't really know how to process and I've been a poet my whole life and um after I experienced like um Harassment and other things. It took me a long time um, to be able to write, but then once I sat down and write, Backwards God just came out um, all in one sitting. And you know, usually I have to go back and edit poems, but Backwards God, it just it is what it is. Um, and then when I decided to pursue filmmaking as a career a few years later. Uh, I kept, I've written so many scripts that I don't like, that I don't want to um, make. And I, but I really, really, really wanted to make something at that time. And so I went back to Backwards God because Backwards God has always been very, very special to me. And I was like, okay, let's make this into a short film. And Jason was down. And um, yeah, I was, we both uh, produced it together and I wrote and directed it. And he was a cinematographer and we just pulled our resources together. And that's what you see. Um, and, yeah, and all the women and men that are in the film, um, I know, either I know them or they just wanted to be a part of it. They they supported uh, the meaning behind it so much that they just wanted to be a part of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, you know, the women, you know, are in ceremonial white, some of them, and particularly, you know, in some of the scenes, and you know, there's a real spiritual context to the work, and and we see women who are pregnant, right? And then yeah, one of the parts you're, you're you know you have, um, I think it's you walking down the road and you're carrying a bag, and that what, what you say there is like really nice, <laughs> um, and and just <laughs> and then it's about like okay, what if I take off my makeup, right? Um, you know something, and you, you know what you said, mm-hmm. but it was like yeah, like. Can I be a person and not a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Like just sort of commodification of, of 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 women, and you know, all these women are black women, so it's like. And then we think about yeah. sort of black women not being people, right? You know, think about mm-hmm. you know our ancestors, sojourner truth, and how like, well, damn it, women, like I'm here trying to get the vote with you, and like you, you, you like questioning my my humanity, like like yeah. what? Do I have to take off my clothes? Like what? <laughs> Um. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. all this that exactly kinda, like the did. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, she did. Like you know. Okay. Well, <laughs> you, you know, like I do a striptease here, right? <laughs> you know, I shaded her memory. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. It's just so so beautiful, and it's like so multi leveled, and it's so like affirming, right? It's just mm-hmm. so yeah. So, why don't you give us a little bit of your poetry? Um.
5: <laughs> from from yeah, the film, sure. you know.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um,
5: well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for um, everything you're saying, because um, yeah, it it shows that you just really, really received the piece, and um, it it makes me emotional just you, hearing you um speak about it. But um, let me see an excerpt of the piece. Um,
0: unless unless you'd rather share you like something else from your repertoire, I mean, since you are a poet, <laughs> we'll take something else, whatever you like, something oh. fresh, something new, something un, unshared before. That's good, oh, too. That's so generous. <laughs> Thank you. Um,
5: I could, do you mind if I just share uh, maybe the beginning goes back with God? Is that okay? Whatever you like is fine. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll do um, uh, the first few stanzas. Okay. When man made God in his image, he took a rib from his flesh and gave it to the woman as bones. When the woman grew a tail and had it shoved between her legs, she was beckoned to sit and pose as man's best friend. The womb is the center of creation. We give all praise to the Holy Father, for it is through he that we are children, without mothers. The carrier is not God enough to be translator. Woman always has a man behind, trying to bend her over. If Adam and Eve were the first people, how did woman's name become the abbreviation of evil when it is Adam's apple still lodged in man's throat? We throw trash into the earth and call her mother. It makes sense as to why women are still treated as if we have masters. Man gives earth the same gender he oppresses. Mm -hmm. And those are just the first couple of stanzas of the poem.
0: Yeah, powerful, powerful. Yeah. So when did you make the film? Are are the mothers still, I mean, are the women still pregnant or have the babies been born?
5: (laughs) (laughs) So beautiful. The babies have been born. Um, We made it in 2019. Um, and yeah, actually, um, it's so funny. One of the women in the film, I didn't, there, there were two pregnant women in there and I didn't know one of them was pregnant at the time. I didn't know until she showed up, um, and I was like, wow, how beautiful. Um, and she's a dancer actually. And it's just so beautiful to watch her, um, as a mother now, um, and how Mm -hmm. she's incorporated her motherhood into her practice. Um, it's so beautiful to watch, but yeah. The babies have been born, um, and Jason <laughs> and I, we're actually um, working on our next um, project, but that mm-hmm. probably won't come out until 2023, I'm thinking, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we're, we're oh. going to make a feature film. So, yeah. Oh, we're so, But we're, nice. um, we're going to release, like, um, uh, snippets
0: this year. Mm-hmm. So, it's really cool, oh. but it's taking
5: us some time.
0: Oh, can you tell us what? The, the, the work in progress is about? Is it about the children? Absolutely.
5: Um, I, well, you know, if you look at it in a poetic way, I guess, but um, not directly. <laughs> um, it's called The Memory of Soil, um, and it's oh. about a young woman who's a senior in college, and she's researching um, epigenetics in the context oh. of lynching and how um, trauma has been passed through the DNA. Um, to black Americans um, who are the descendants of lynching victims. And she um, is studying these postcards, these lynching postcards, um, because they actually would take pictures of these lynchings and put them on postcards and send them to each other, these white people. Um, And so she's studying these postcards, and on one of the postcards, she actually discovers the name of her great-grandfather. And so throughout the movie, she's, like, exploring her family history and seeing how that history has shaped her present. Um, And it's very... um, Um, experimental and a lot of magical realism um, is within the film and so it's been really hard for me because as you know it's so hard to look at these images and um, it's already hard like our lived experiences and then to go back and like see everything um, that has happened up until this point um, to our people it's just it's extremely extremely hard to write but um, it feels like I'm supposed to be writing it Hmm. Wow!
0: Wow! Yeah, you mentioned that you're um you're in Georgia in Atlanta, or this this particular film that we're speaking of, um, Backwards God was shot in Atlanta, so you're a southerner. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know you're telling telling you know these stories from our community, and I just think that's really cool. And you mentioned how. You you know, you've been a poet all along, and, and then you went back to school and you became a director, you know, a filmmaker. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's great. So um, could you talk <laughs> to us a little bit about that process? Like sort of like what were you doing before you did that? <laughs> I feel like you see me because,
5: um, <laughs> you know, that has been like my whole thing these past couple years trying to figure out how to um, – be a poet and filmmaker at the same time. And then I realized there's nothing to figure out. But um, before all this, um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I've been a poet forever, literally forever. Um, And I've been in theater too, so I've, done, like, hip-hop theater, and, like, it's always been poetry incorporated in everything I do, and um, I went to a performing arts high school, and they had a media program, so that was really cool, so that's how I got introduced to film in high school. I just um, didn't take it further until a few years ago, but, um, yeah, I was actually running um, a nonprofit in Atlanta called Atlanta WordWorks. And um, it's for youth poets, so anyone from the ages of 13 to 19 can go and take writing workshops and do poetry slams and compete in Brave New Voices, which is um, the International oh, Poetry Slams. Oh, I know Brave New Voices. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah We have it yeah, here yeah. in the so, Bay Area. Yeah, California. San oh, Francisco yeah. Well, and. yeah. Youth
5: Speaks, yeah. They're the founders. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I know. So, yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, would coach the team from Atlanta every year, and then um once at Atlanta WordWorks merged with another organization called Vox ATL, that's when I moved to New York, because I just needed to make sure Atlanta WordWorks was taken care of. So as soon as that oh. happened, that's when I moved to New York to finally pursue filmmaking, because I've always been a student and an artist, and helping teenagers even when I was a teenager so I feel like I never really had the room to just fully commit to what I wanted to do Um, so that was like my ticket and I came here and I've been here trying to learn as much about filmmaking um, as I can ever since I've gotten here
0: oh well you're you're a very good student because your film backwards god is is just so so lovely you know, it's going to be one of those keepers. You know, people are going to be watching this film. You know, when you're not here anymore, it's one of those. You know, it's a oh. classic. Oh, you're going to make it's me very, cry. Really um. It's very <laughs> <heck of> lovely. lovely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank Don't you. Miss, Thank folks. you so much. It's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Um, well, I'm going to be in touch with you, and I hope you stay in touch with me. Um, I want to. I want to introduce you to a, a sister um, who's in Chicago, who. Um, she's uh, she's african of african descent um and she's also jewish and and this was a film that was part of the San Francisco Jewish Film festival last season last year and um and and she she does a she does a pilgrimage and goes and looks for her ancestors um Ooh. and it takes her to um the confederate south and wow. and, and i think she goes with her mother but she's going in search of an ancestor, a history that she was not aware of. And so I was just thinking you might, you all might want to talk to each other because of the work that you're doing now, you know, with your, um, your cinematographer. Sounds like a similar Absolutely. kind of uncovering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, do you want to give your website or something um, before we shift over to um, your uh, your other, your colleague, uh, Alicia Cunningham, who's going to talk about her film. Do you, do you have a website or something you like to share with um, our audience?
5: Um, I don't have a website, uh, but I have an Instagram. It's just Natalie Sierra Cook. Um, and also Jason and I, we have created our own production company, and it's called mm-hmm. Little Light Pictures, like this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. So Little Light Pictures, and we're on Instagram. Um, so that's where I can be found right now. And yay to the next filmmaker, Alicia, who's about to speak, and thank you again so much. And I'm so excited to connect with your friend. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Yeah, all the
0: things. So thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you, and congratulations on this, this wonderful, wonderful film that is just so lovely. And thank you so much for sharing, you know, some of the poem with us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You take good care. You too. Goodbye.
6: Bye. Peace and blessings.
0: So, uh, Miss Alicia Cunningham, how are you?
6: I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me oh. today.
0: Oh, I'm fine. I am more than my hair. I think about that song. Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) In (laughs) diary, right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. what, you know, what a wonderful project. I mean, you know, not only do you have this film, you know, you've got a book. I mean, it's like a, sort of like a mission. Like, you are on a mission. Yes, it really is. And it's an important mission, too, right? I mean, we are not how long our locks are, right? Like, okay, so we're in the tower and we have no locks to throw down, so we're like stuck, right? Nobody's coming to get us. Like, okay, well, right. we need to learn how to like make ropes and things like that, right? <laughs> so we can <laughs> yeah, travel, you know, as independent right. women and girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. So, so tell us yeah. about yourself. Um, I mean, I could read your bio, but then you know, you know who you are. Um, so, okay, uh, tell us, tell us how mm. you came to this particular project because um, it's so it's really unique um, that you would yeah, be looking you. at. Uh, women's hair loss and not just women but mothers of children whose hair is falling out or falling out and and how even a kid like a little bitty girl would Mm -hmm. feel like her identity is really adversely affected by not having hair like like, where did that come from
6: you just got here yeah (laughs) right I know um so my name is Alicia Cunningham and I'm um I'm an author filmmaker photographer so I'm more than my hair is actually my first uh um, film and um, I came to the story, of uh, the idea of I'm more than my hair based on um, an experience with cutting my hair. So I did a big chop um, back in 2013 when I was um, preparing for my first um, my first book. So my book launch of my book Feminine Transitions. And um, after I posted that I was um, cutting my hair and donating it to a um, for the big chop. Um, for an organization that raises proceeds for the medical treatment of cancer for women of color. Um, mm-hmm. And I was shocked at the response that I received. A, a lot of people criticized me for cutting my hair. I had locks at that time. Um, I heard so many Bible – I didn't realize that there's so many Bible verses about a woman in her hair and, and the, you know, saying that she's cursed, if she doesn't have hair, if she's born without it, if she loses it. Um, and in response to the – really, like, to the naysayers, um, it was actually uh, – having a conversation with a woman uh, while she was in the store with her daughter, and since so she knows me because she, she was attending my book launch, um, she told me that, you know, you shouldn't have cut your hair because um, you're getting ready to have this launch, and your hair is a part of your identity, and it's your strength, and it's your beauty. You know, aren't you worried that people aren't going to recognize you anymore? So I asked her um, as her daughter was standing. And at that point, I was really um, pissed off, to be honest. Um, and I said, um, would you tell your daughter that she's no longer beautiful if she lost her hair? And um, so she kind of questioned She's. I see. I can see her there thinking. And I know it's because she's trying to watch her, her words because her daughter's standing there. But as she was thinking, I started thinking. I was like, you know, what I'm gonna. Do, I'm gonna work on a project, and I'll show people that um that we are not our hair. So that's how I came up. Long story short, but that's how I came up with the idea um behind the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and mm-hmm. then the book that you mentioned um that mm-hmm. preceded um
6: this particular project. What's the book about? Um. Prior to I'm more than my hair. Yeah. You mentioned I Am more than um. My hair. Feminine Transitions, yes. Yeah, that one, yeah, yes. Yes, so Feminine Transitions is, that was actually another project that came out of me being um, a little upset about uh, people, you know, um, the photographers really, um, Photoshopping, and um, I felt like the, the whole digital manipulation thing was out of hand, so I wanted to, I took pictures of, of, of girls and women. So the youngest was six weeks. The oldest was 103. And um, so the requirement was, was no makeup. 103?
0: Whoa. 103, right. Stop. Yeah, she lived Whoa. to be 106.
6: Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Who in the <laughs> Really? Where? Yeah. I want to go live in that place. <laughs> <laughs> right.
4: <laughs>
6: yeah. So just all raw pictures, no Photoshop, no accessories. Um, mm. And, and mm. in order for them to be included, there was no makeup, no accessories. Um, Just raw okay. beauty. And to prove that, you know, we are beautiful, we don't have to do have, the digital manipulation or have makeup on. Uh, to be beautiful,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. So where, yeah. where, where, where did your um or does your your model who is a hundred and
6: well who lived to be a hundred and six, mm-hmm. where where does she live? What what place? She's in um D.C. So she's in Washington, Northwest Washington D.C. That's where she lived. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Came here wow. from Mississippi. Yeah, she she had a. Okay. I, I felt honored to be in her presence. You know, you know, she had a long um story to tell. You know, a lot to say. Um, mm-hmm. it's really nice here. Yeah. Oh, so is that a film too? Yeah. No, but, you know, I actually thought about it. I was like, I should have, you know, maybe kind of, I'm kind of in the space of maybe I should go back because people keep asking me if I'm going to do a second edition of the book. So like, maybe mm-hmm. I should just do a, you know, like a short film. Um, yeah. I, I'm considering it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, well, let me know.
6: And yeah. is your
0: book available? Um, that uh, yes. Feminine Transition, is it available still?
6: It is. So, so it's available. I have it. I'm selling it on Amazon, and I'm also um, selling it on my website, uh, alicia.com. That's so A L Y F D I A um dot com is on there. Uh, on my shop. Uh, okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Wow. So let's yeah. go, go back to um um you know, to your to your film, um, I am more than okay. my hair. And yeah. uh yeah, just talk about, you know, the women that you and and the and the, the the mother and her child that you interviewed. Yeah. Um I, I saw the link, um a little bit late this morning, so okay. I wasn't able to watch okay. it all, but I think I watched about 10 minutes of it. Um, okay. So I haven't seen it all, so but, that. yeah, tell us okay. a little bit about, okay. about you know, who's
6: in it and, yeah. Can
0: yeah, you so there's you a, a little
6: girl. Okay. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. So there is a little girl, the youngest. Um, actually, she was the only um, little girl that a parent gave you okay to do the interview, um, mm. um, Natalie and Gracie. Gracie is the daughter and um, a lot of moms didn't want to – they said they, they didn't want to put their children in a space to be on a film or in a book um, just because of the, the, the teasing and bullying that was already going on at school. Um,
4: oh, yeah. And
6: so although I felt there was a, a space to kind of educate people, you know, because I, I, most oftentimes ignorance, you know, the, the bullying comes out of ignorance as well. Um, but um, she um, was seven years old at, at that time, and um, she lost her hair – Uh, So oftentimes when someone does have hair loss, it's usually associated, which is alopecia, um, it's usually associated with a health condition. And um, her health condition um, was related to food, a food allergy, um, which caused her hair to fall out. Um, And then I have Marguerite. I don't think you, since you only saw 10 Minutes, you didn't see Marguerite yet, but she's blind. And she lost her hair Um, uh, as a side effect of taking the medication to prevent her blindness. It actually... um, made her hair fall out. And um, her perspective was just beautiful to me, like how she saw the world and how she viewed beauty um, without the sense of sight, Um, which actually encouraged me to do the documentary.
0: Oh, so she lost lost her hair anyway. I mean, no, she lost her sight anyway
6: and her hair. Yes. yes. And her hair, right, yes. Right. Wow. So as she was transitioning, as she was losing her sight, the doctor had prescribed Mm -hmm. her medication and then she lost her hair. Oh, okay. Yeah, in the process. Yeah, right and here. So it's a and sight, sight. but it didn't it didn't save her sight. I mean that was the whole no, point. No, it, it didn't save her sight. Right? right. Yeah, exactly. It didn't save her sight. Right, yeah. Not at all. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so that's yeah. another way that people can actually lose their hair is from um the side effect of medication, the food and then mm. there was um uh Naya who I think I think she should, she was in there before the ten minutes, but she um Naya lost her hair from chemotherapy, from uh, uh radiation for cancer treatment. Um, mm-hmm. So even though you lose your hair from can't from radiation, it's still alopecia, um, which just means like a universal term for hair loss. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a few other women. One in San Diego, Mary, same thing, alopecia. Her's an autoimmune um, condition. Um, another woman, Janice, who lost her hair, and then she but she lost it due to cancer. Uh, but she cut she kept it short in solidarity with her sisters who lost their lives from cancer. So she keeps it short mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it in tribute to them. Right. Yeah, but that's that's majority. Yeah, that's the uh, the feature featured um, oh. women films. film. Yeah.
0: So so tell us like about yourself. Like you're called to like lift these stories about women and um, and beauty. Yes. Where where people are, I mean that are sort of non non conforming beauty, right?
6: We exactly. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. It is. Yeah,
0: so, so where does that come from in you, as as an artist, as a creator?
6: Like this is really, really
0: lovely. It's like an it sounds like you're an
6: activist too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really do feel. Um, I mean, aside from I feel like there's multiple levels of activism are also within my the county. That's a whole other subject, but um, but uh, it, mm. it it is um, activism, and it's really, um, it it stems from, and I had to I had to think about it. You know, that stemmed from an experience as a child. So I grew up in a household, um, my family is from Trinidad, I'm a first generation uh, here in the States, but he, uh, my father was really adamant about beauty and um, always made it his duty to tell me every day that I was beautiful and like my, my hair natural is, it's beautiful the way it is, I don't need makeup. I heard that, you know, constantly. So there was a constant reassurance at home um, mm-hmm. and, and he always telling my mother that um, as well. But then I had an experience with an auntie. Uh, I moved from New York, and actually I wasn't—I didn't move from New York yet. But um getting ready to move in the transition, and I was a little stressed out with leaving New York to come to Maryland because I didn't like Maryland. And um, I started—I think because of the stress—I started my my pimples started growing. Plus, was puberty mixing, you know, started growing in my face. And my auntie saw me, um, who I grew up with, and she said to me, my great aunt, and she said to me. Um, at least it used to be beautiful, but now you're getting ugly. And uh, I think in that, and that was the one time, you know, all that I've heard, beauty, like I was beautiful all my life, that was the first mm-hmm. time I actually questioned it, and I questioned, and I don't know for whatever reason why that one comment, you know, out of all the hundreds of comments that I've heard, that was the one comment that kind of knocked me, knocked me, um, kind of knocked me off, you know, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it took me some time to kind of get back my on when I went to my father, and he was like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. He spoke to my aunt, and um you know, years this is this is a long story behind that, but years later when we and her spoken. and she's passed away um since mm-hmm. but um I think it was that feeling of having a feeling not beautiful then yeah. that actually kinda of sparked the conversations of me um not wanting other people to feel including my children. That was which is the first thing is in my household mm-hmm. first. Um right. you know so I started to like the work a lot of the work I do was based off of that experience. Um and that was sparked from a photographer who saw so a picture, this was years ago when I first started photography, of a pregnant woman that I took, and she um, she said I should never show a picture to a woman who's pregnant without Photoshopping her stretch marks because it's ugly. And that's what started my first, that's what started Feminine Transition. You know, so it's, it's kind of gone on since then. But I think that word kind of triggered mm-hmm. me to, you know, yeah. And I thought it was ridiculous, you know, because she's pregnant. We, go, we, we, we grow stretch marks, you know, it's a part of the process. Um, yeah, that's how I yeah, started yeah, my journey. Yes, an author.
0: Right, right, and and yeah. the stretch marks are part of the journey of childbirth, yeah. right? It sort of like shows where right. you've been. Like if you got the marks, it's like, yeah, you really did do that, right? Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, why would yeah. you want to take a journey and 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 then? Get rid of all right. of the evidence that you went there.
6: Yes, exactly. Right. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Well said. Uh, wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because you're you know you're a pretty um, you know well known um, you know entrepreneur, author, filmmaker, and photographer. You know, because you've got you know work uh, at the Smithsonian, National Geographic, Discovery Channel, and AOL. So, like, are you are you working on any other projects simultaneously,
6: um, commercially? um i am as you, as you do yeah. your own yeah so um i'm working on actually another film um and uh because of the pandemic um i'm not doing mm-hmm. any in person right now although my first will be a doctor uh next month but um so actually marguerite the woman who is in my first film i'm more than my hair who's blind she and mm-hmm. her view on beauty encouraged me to do another um something on um i'm um, talent seeing right now so it's it's uh, women who are blind and how they just, how they maneuver through the world and how they view beauty without the sense of sight. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I wanted to hear that perspective. Um, and then I'm also, so I'm a, aside from documentaries, which is my, um, one of my favorite uh, genres, my second favorite genre um, is, is horror. Oh, i yes, I love, I love true okay. horror stories. Um, so I'm um, not gruesome. I don't like gruesome. I like, um, you know, like psychological spirits, um, yeah. you know, things like nice. that. So I'm i I've, I finished my uh, I, I finished my first horror feature, um, through Sundance um workshop that I did, oh. and I'm going back. Congratulations! In Virginia, nice. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I plan on actually going to direct it um next year, so that's like I'm okay. planning for that right now. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh, keep keep me posted. Um, so is this yes. horror? Is it is it black women? I mean, is it in our what It is. is. It? Yeah,
6: a, definitely. <laughs> so that's the thing is that when you see horror, the first people to die are black. Um. Uh, and then if it is women it's like the damn blue in distress so i wanted to completely um change the perspective um i have so the lead actors are or actresses is a is a black um woman and uh and a latina woman um mm-hmm. and together they are um the black woman they're both um they're both successful although i will make that like the main point of it but I just, you know i want to i want them to come out of a space where they um you know like they can hold their own um mm-hmm the one the black woman who is a um a pediatric uh neuro uh surgeon um has the ability to see spirit so she connects with the spirit world and um mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a it's a journey where they have to go through they actually they're going on a camping trip and they see um a sign about Negro Mountain which still exists. There's a sign that says um welcome to Negro Mountain. It's it's they still label it as Negro Mountain and um, it's between Pennsylvania and Maryland. Um, oh,
4: okay.
6: And so that kind of starts the journey, and they realize that they are now that this camp retreat is actually a cult that lures people in from social media through the phone. Um, and then you know, so at the end, they do they don't die. I wanted to make sure they don't they don't stab each other in the back. I just wanted two strong mm-hmm. women of color to be, um, you know, in the film, and they and they survive mm-hmm. together, and figuring it out. Oh, yeah. that sounds really yeah.
0: cool. Yeah. So are yeah. you a fan of Octavia
6: Butler? Um not so much the the drama little, I don't really I don't like drama too much. <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> but I mean she's a great uh, I mean great actress, actor.
0: No, Octavia Butler, the writer.
6: <laughs> oh the side I know. Yeah. Octavia oh Butler. okay, sorry, sorry. I I'm I don't know why I thought about the lady in um Tyler Perry's uh um, Oh oh no 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 not not no not the uh, not the actress, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I am actually.
0: Yes.
6: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <Maybe>, uh, <laughs> might have to do a collab. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. So, um, so you've got characters that um can see into different realms of existence. Yes. Right. yeah. Nice. Yes, nice. The that's great. Yeah. 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 And it's mm-hmm. not gory. I don't like gory, um, uh, horror either. Like, yeah, although, I don't, although the yeah. one, or, although the non-gory. It stays with you so long. I mean, you could be thinking about the film like your film, maybe, for years to come. Right. (laughs) But if they're that that much, they're more scarier, I think.
6: It is. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to hear the story. You want to know, you know, the storyline. Anybody can kill or even, like, sexual acts. I just feel like that's just kind of laziness just to put that in there and not really consider a storyline, you know. So um, Mm it's just not in there, you know. Once they get a good storyline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, give us yeah. your
0: website again. Spell it out for folks so they can definitely stay in touch. You have a
6: very nice website. Thank you. So it's alicia.com and that's A-L-Y-S-C-I-A um, dot com. And um, okay, I, I'm cool. also having an ex- upcoming exhibit coming up um, for anybody in the oh, D.C. Right, area. Oh, right, Yeah. That's this um, month. Yes. yes. Yes, that's this month. March 19th it launches and, and I made it accessible for um, people with hearing and vision loss um, so they mm-hmm. can also enjoy the experience with audio description and 3D prints that can be touched, although it can't be touched now because of restrictions, but hopefully it will be loosened by, you know, within a few weeks or a few months. Um, But that's on my website as well, on my events page.
0: So you mean the actual um, tactile aspect can be something that you can do virtually?
6: Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, so because, yeah, you can't do that virtually, but you can hear the audio description um, virtually of the stories, but that won't be live until March 19th um, as well. Yeah, but in person at okay, yeah. the Sandy Spring Museum. If anybody's in the the Maryland D.C. area, um, they can mm-hmm. visit. They can actually they have to sign up online because of COVID. You got to sign up and and you know get tickets to come. But it's for free. It's free for the community.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: Right. Yeah, I tried yeah. to
0: do that last night, but um, it was taking too long. So I was like, oh, I have to go do that later. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 You okay. are you are really yeah. a busy woman. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. we're a little bit over, yeah. but one more thing I wanted to ask you. Um. So where did you get your training and, and uh and advice for, for young people that are interested in um in uh you know, in film and you know, in this variety of ways, you know, moving film and photography.
6: Oh, well actually so I'm self taught. Photography I did to school. Um so actually that was my major in school, but um oh, film okay. I'm I'm self taught. I just you know, I did it on my own, but then after I started doing it I went back and I did take an editing class, which I think is important. Um, mm-hmm. so I learned how to edit, but I think really it's just a matter of when you really want to do something. Um, YouTube is really, I feel like, YouTube is a university. Um, I, I fixed my car on YouTube, you know, so there's a lot of videos it on it that you can go on YouTube. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can anything that I need to get done. If I can't figure something out, I go on YouTube and do a search. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so anyone who wants to actually get into it, um, film, photography, art, anything. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot, I, I do, I do, I'm, I'm, um, I'm adamant about, um, also going to take courses. I think it's important. So sometimes you can go to a, a community college and you can take a course based on your exactly. interest. But also, you know, the world is really at your ha- in your hands. Really, you know, you can go on YouTube and and learn how to do it online. But it's just making that decision to do it. You can do planning, which is great. Planning is really good. Uh, it's important. It's an important phase. But just doing it is more more important than anything else. So, so when you have a, a when you have a thought, I think just when you go at it, um, the universe figures out a way. Your ancestors, I believe that. Wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. um, we'll figure a way out how to to carve a space for you to to do what you want to do. Wow! Yeah,
0: yeah. well, yeah. awesome! Congratulations, uh, Alicia. Thank you for um, for all of this wonderful work around, um, you know, sort of uh, bringing people who are are present into the light. You know, like because if mm-hmm. if you're not if if no one sees you, you don't exist. I mean, exactly, you know you do, right. but you really don't feel like you right. do because nobody, everybody's yeah. walking by you, walking through you, walking into you, you know. Right. And yeah. so with your work, <laughs> right. you know, feminine transitions and um, in the current work, I'm more than my hair, and the follow-up yeah. work, you know, seeing, um, because, you know, a lot of times you don't know a person, um, I mean, with hair you definitely can see that, but sometimes, yeah. you know, we have different different abilities and they're not really Disabilities—they're just a different way right. of moving through the through the world, exactly. right? They're yes, they're they're true. hidden, like right. you know. And so, yes. and and so you know, people are making all these assumptions that oh, this person can see when, and so things are not accessible. That's what's really wonderful about this art exhibit that you
3: mentioned—that
0: yes. you're sort of thinking about the different audiences and how to make it so that everyone who wants to participate, you know, who who can participate in a virtual setting will be able to participate. Um, you know, given the fact that we can't, you know, go, you know, we can't move around like we used to right at the moment. Right. Yeah, yeah. So this is really, really wonderful. Congratulations on on all of your ideas. (laughs) Thank you so much. And all of your (laughs) work. And and definitely look forward to, you know, seeing and, and, you know, and and coming to the art exhibit and just being in touch. So please, you know, keep my number. Let me know what you're up to. I will. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks (laughs) for having me on the show. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. Congratulations on, you know, being a part of this wonderful Women's Voices Now Film Festival. It's going to be really awesome. Thank you. I'm excited.
6: Yeah, it sounds very exciting. I'm I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. All (laughs) All right. right.
0: You you take good care. Thanks for having me again. You too. All
6: right, Take care. All right. Peace and blessings. Bye. Peace.
0: Bye-bye. So we are concluding our um, really wonderful conversations with directors of films that are part of Women's Voices Now Film Festival with uh, Ingrid Rogers Liberate.
7: <laughs> Good morning. Hi there. Ingrid, how are you? Hi, I'm great <laughs> Wanda. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, you're quite welcome. It's been really lovely, you know, speaking to your other, you know, director, producer sisters, you know, that are part of this uh wonderful um film festival that I hadn't known about um until
7: uh last month, <laughs> yeah so, so well i I'm looking forward to to seeing some of the films too. It's my first time um having a film in this festival, so um, mm-hmm. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see some of the other entries
0: mhm, right, yeah, and you are you are very famous
3: <laughs> you know, well, wanted you
0: to talk a little bit about you know um you know your your film. Um. Yeah, it's almost like you're know, like you you know, it's called liberate, but it's really a celebration. I, I certainly agree. Yeah. You talk about about your film, but also talk about you know your career as an actress, um, and now director, and in you know, and and you live in Southern California, and you know, you've had some really long runs with some of these um, you know, I don't know if they still call them soap operas. That might be an old word for it. Now, do they have a new term for that? <laughs>
7: I, I think they still um, call it that. Back back in the day, they okay. called it stories.
0: The stories too. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and
0: then you mentioned sure, um, some of your work with some of these directors. That yeah, I mean, like Al Pacino. Like really? Like wow, really? <laughs> and that was when you were just starting yeah. out. And you talk about you know going to New York and um, you know um, having to really rough it because you wanted to you know to tell stories because you felt you know, mm-hmm. called to this, almost like a, yeah, it was like a sacred calling, you know. Well, did you tell us your story.
7: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me just, I just do want to clarify that I actually didn't direct Liberate. I am the, okay. I wrote it and I produced it. And okay. um, a dear friend of mine, Kai Lavender, who's a, a wonderful filmmaker, came on board but let me just I'll back up and tell you a little bit about me. Um, yes, I am primarily an actress, and I've been in the business for quite some time. I started my career on a soap opera called All My Children, and um, most recently I have been on and, and let me the Amazon. And let me
0: interrupt you there. Let me interrupt you there. All yeah. My Children is a classic. It's like, you know... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, even you if know, for those who don't watch them, everyone knows All My Children, right? I mean, there were just some it, some that they lasted for years and years. Like, they kept on,
7: you know, oh, yeah. being, having new seasons and new seasons. <laughs> oh, yeah. It went on. I mean, I don't even know what the run time was. I want to say over 30 years. Unfortunately, it is not on anymore, but it was definitely one of the – you know, the ones that was on the ABC platform, and it was always um, ABC Network was like either number one or number two. I think we bounced back and forth between General Hospital. But, um, yeah, that was uh, that was my first job. That's where I began my career.
3: Yeah.
7: Um, and uh, so, yeah, most recently I've been on the Amazon show um, Bosch, and I did uh, – Five seasons on that, and that show just ended also. Um, they just finished shooting and the season will air coming up soon, probably this spring, I believe. So I I'll just tell you then how I came to to liberate. I've done other um, short films that I've written before, and this one just it actually came out for me as more an expression, almost like a, a piece of poetry. When I wrote it, and um, I was—it was a point for me, just as a woman, as a woman of color, feeling like I wasn't fully being seen and heard in all of who I am, and it, I was frustrated, and I just needed to express that, and it came out on on paper, just you know, like we are multidimensional; we are not just one emotion or, you know, one viewpoint, we are, we embody just a, a humanness that is, you know, that encompasses all kinds of viewpoints and feelings, emotions, expressions. So I wrote this and then I just happened to have dinner with my, my friend, uh, Kaya, and I told her about, I told her about it, I shared it with her and she loved it. And uh, we decided to to bring it to life. And she really, um, you know, I had a, I had a vision for it in terms of the style that I wanted to shoot it in. But she really brought it to life with just the images. and And her husband is a wonderful um, director of photography, so he came on as our cinematographer. and uh, And it was uh, just a really wonderful creative expression and i'm so happy that it's you know it's getting a little bit of love in the festival circuit and and people are are seeing it so i'm, I'm very pleased mm-hmm. with that
0: yes yes it is it is really really beautiful because when when it starts it's like okay what's this about right um because yeah. of the title you know liberate it's like okay yeah. <laughs> and and you know we yeah. just see you you know just looking like fabulous i mean it's just like uh, Black woman's fabulous. Like, okay, you know, like in yes. the shots, like you mentioned, you know, with your your you know your cinematographer, you know, like all the way to the shoes, right? We just like mm. we get a chance to like really just sort of uh, sort of be, you know, in these moments that might pass by really quickly if if it wasn't, you know, sort of uh, planned the way it is, you know, because when we see people, we don't necessarily we just sort of glance as opposed to like really mm. look. And so in the film, it allows us, the way it's shot, to look at you, like, you know, and just like, and just let you, like, we don't really have any preconceptions, um, unless a person knows, you know, you and they're going to the film because they know you, (laughs) but if if a person is, you know, in the audience and and doesn't have any idea, and and for me, I was attracted by, by the title, um, Mm. and didn't quite know what to expect, so yeah, it's, uh, it's really lovely, um,
7: Yeah. Thank you. you. And just what you said there, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think you summarized it so well is that, yeah, I, 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 that's what I wish for all, you know, all women and especially all women of color that you, you don't look at us with a preconceived idea. You just simply Mm -hmm. look at us and then allow who we are to unfold and embrace who we are in that unfolding, um, and so that that ultimately is I titled it liberate we titled it liberate just to allow us to be free in that expression and and seen as you know really full dynamic human beings and I think mm-hmm. that is that is happening more and more especially in um, the entertainment industry in the last couple of years you know we've seen some wonderful recognition for for women of color Regina King um, Oh, I'm totally yes. blanking on her name. But, uh, Zendaya, um, you know, we're seeing that more and more. And uh, even recently, I think it's in the category of director, with three female directors at the Golden Globes. And um, uh, is it Chloe Zhao, I think her name is, and she won her best picture. And that, that was quite an accomplishment, you know, as a... as um, our, our, our world is changing, and so that, that makes me happy to see that. Mhm.
0: Yeah, yeah. What was the film um, that uh, had the three women? Was that the one um, about the, um, <clears throat> it was set in uh, the south in New Orleans, um, was one of those. Chloe Zhao,
7: that one? Yeah. yeah. The uh-huh. Chloe Zhao, it was Nomadland. Nomadland, that, okay. That was the one. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which it's a beautiful film, also beautifully shot. Just the images are gorgeous. The acting is amazing. You almost feel like you're watching a documentary. Oh, I have to look that up. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, Mm -hmm.
7: it's worth seeing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Thank you. So yeah. So
7: when I wrote this was 2019, I think. Uh Yeah, 2019. It was you know sort of just before our whole. World turned upside down last year, and just our our cries and you know desires for social justice, and 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 I I think it was just really timely. Like we were all sort of feeling that that percolating. The Me Too movement had started, and so we were all just feeling that you know that that unrest in life that we want to be seen, we want to be heard.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, when I was looking at, at your various bios, um uh, mm-hmm. last night this morning. <laughs> mm-hmm, early yeah. this morning. Um I was looking at, you know, like I looked at the one on your website and then the one um the one uh that um the longer than the short one. The short one was really, really short. And uh Oh the mini like, bio. Well,
7: yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then like where's your Jamaican roots part, right? So, um oh, yeah, okay. like
7: Yeah, so, like, give us the, like, deep stuff. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I was born Toronto and raised my first nine years in Jamaica, West Indies. Both of my parents are Jamaican, um, so I have deep roots that are Jamaican. Unfortunately, I haven't. After I left at nine years old, I've only been back twice since then, and I haven't been back in – such a long time and it is some, it is calling my name. I keep, I have a friend who last year during the pandemic moved to Jamaica and she's just loving it there. She moved with her husband and her two boys and and raising her, her kids there now. Um, I, you know, it is, it is part of my experience. It's, you know, it's who I am and it's informed the way I see the world as a woman of color living in America, which is a whole different, um, experience than, than in in some ways, you know, it's shaped me differently than being an African-American woman being born here and raised here. It's just a different, it's an immigrant experience and it's, uh, my experience. If that makes sense?
0: Right, right, yeah. Because you talk about you know how how loved you know you felt as a child you know in mm-hmm. you know in your in your motherland right your fatherland. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and how you know going you know when you went back to Canada, it was like cold and like and you oh. you, you know like just that whole experience of the weather you know like
7: what's what what's, yeah. what's no right. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was, let me tell you, it was shocking. It was definitely shocking to the system for sure. As a nine-year-old, you know, not only the weather, but just culturally, it was mm-hmm. just so different. There was nothing, I don't think I could have, you know, at nine years old, mentally prepared myself for, for the culture shock that I was about to experience. Um mm-hmm but we are resilient human beings. And so, you know, I found like within, within three weeks, I lost my Jamaican accent because I just wanted oh. at that age, I just wanted to fit in, you know, I just wanted to assimilate. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely given me a, a, a unique perspective on, Having lived in Jamaica, having lived in Canada and having lived in the US.
0: hmm. Right, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I I think um, you know, so you think about revolutionaries, you know, you are from the land of revolutionaries.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean I think about, so you know, true. Marcus Garvey and Annie, you know, yeah. Nanny
7: and um, yeah. you know, Bob Marley. I know. mean it's like you yeah. <laughs> I know i i i just recently just been thinking you know it's such a small island, but so like you said, just so many great people have come out of that small island and revolutionaries mm-hmm. It's like you know uh different people who think differently and wanna change the mm-hmm. world um so yeah it's, its it's interesting, it's something that I'd like to explore more and to understand maybe a little bit more of the history there, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because even like the Haitian Revolution, I think um, Bukman was um, Jamaican. You know, he was in Haiti, mm. but he was Jamaican.
7: <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the sister. Um. You know, the um. The healer. You know, Mom Fatiman, Um. I think she's Haitian. Mm-hmm. And together they are the ones that. You know, sort of. You know, pray to the. Uh, the African deities and like and say yeah we like we're done. Like we are like taking the stand, we are done with this slavery crap. <laughs> yeah. We are gonna you know, we're gonna like have a revolution and you know, and be free. And yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you think about um uh I, th- I think I he was from there, um, former uh Stoli Carmichael Kwame Ture, um, who started yes. um uh, All African People's Revolutionary Party and went to Howard University. He's he's yeah. Jamaican, right?
7: I believe his roots are Jamaican, and yeah, he like, uh, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I just watched uh, recently, about a month or so ago, uh, "Small Acts." Did oh, you watch yeah. that?
3: Mm-hmm. And,
7: and and interesting, like a, a lot of the. I don't remember the first. I think it was the first episode, and I'm totally blanking on the the group of them. But but again, they were you know fighting against the racism that was happening at the time, and I believe. At least one or two they had Jamaican roots, and mm-hmm. uh I love that, yeah yeah cool um
0: so in in closing um'm wondering if you wanna share any um any any lessons learned um in the industry uh you wanna share any um other films you mentioned this was not your first film uh anything you're working on mm. um, that um people can look for. And definitely give everyone your website.
7: Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I think what I've just learned from being in the industry so long is, you know, is it takes a lot of persistence um, to keep going despite any obstacles or setbacks and challenges because there are a lot of them. And oftentimes people kind of get – they get deterred by that and they just give up on what – is their dream because of those setbacks. So I always, what I've found to be um, successful for me is partly why I do create these projects, which are more for me passion projects than anything, is to be able to express at times where I may not be given the opportunity by someone else, but to create the opportunity myself. And I think now more than ever, you know, with technology, folks have the, it's at their fingertips, the means to create it, you know, with iPhones and, and DSLR cameras and all the different cameras that are much more accessible now, the equipment is there. So I say go make your, make your art and, and don't let those expressions sit within you and not come out somehow. Um, right now, I'm, you know what, I'm finding a lot of joy. I've actually been doing some interviews myself where I am the interviewer and interviewing women of color. Um, a lot of them I've been doing on the platform uh, Women in Film and for the Black uh, the Black Member Forum and I'm getting a lot of satisfaction in that in allowing other women of color to tell their stories and to shine. I really enjoy that. And I have some other creative ideas that I'm I'm writing that are kind of percolating right now, but I know there's there's something else coming and, and it will be expressed. I just don't know in what form yet. Um, so that's kind of what I'm up to. That's the advice that I would give is just carry on and, and make your make your stuff. Don't wait for anyone to give you permission to create an mm-hmm. And my um, my website is uh, the Ingrid Rogers I N G R I D R O G E R S dot com and you can also find me, I'm um, on Instagram at com. Okay, super. Well, congratulations,
0: you know, for, um, you know, as your film uh, Liberate, as a selection in the Women's Voices Now uh, Film Festival. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. I'm very um,
7: excited about that. Mm-hmm. Very right? excited. It's my first time participating, and it looks like a wonderful oh, cool. festival, yeah. Yeah, it
0: does. It does, and and certainly, you know, stay in touch. Um, would love to um, you know, keep track of of your work, and uh, yeah, let me know and support and support you in your work as well.
7: Thank you so much, Wanda. I really appreciate that. Thanks for giving me the the space to be part of the conversation today.
0: Oh, you're quite welcome. It's been really lovely. <laughs> so I'll see you at the movies next week. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Are right, you take good care peace and blessings. You too. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Bye bye. You're welcome. Bye. Sister Mahasin, how are you?
8: Assalamualaikum.
0: Oh, alaykum. Oh, alaikum assalam. So, Sister Mahasin, D. Shamsuddin, playwright uh, um, and uh, producer, writer for this wonderful film, Carrying the Load, The Life and Times of Sister Claire Muhammad. That's sort of where I enter into your career and into your <laughs> creative life. And, and it was just so marvelous last night talking for hours about, wow, you're just like, you know, such a maker, right, a creative person. Like, yeah, it's part of your, the formation of your of your, of
8: your cells at a DNA level, it seems like. Oh, well. Uh... All of that is from God alone, right? But uh, if I enjoyed talking with you last night as well, and I was looking at your resume, I'm like, "Whoa, this is somebody to know."
0: <laughs>
8: That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that
7: funny.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read your bio just to make it a little faster, and then we're gonna talk about okay. this wonderful okay. film that people can see uh, because you videotaped it. And so people can watch it um, this week and maybe next week, Um, but certainly this week. um, And and it just really, you know, shares the story um, of this wonderful, wonderful woman, Sister Claire Muhammad, who believed in um, uh, the importance of education, particularly, um, you know, of of black children, of African-American children, at a time when the public school system, which hasn't changed much, was doing it a disservice. I mean, they were, like, not teaching our children to think for themselves and to be um be free people. And uh and so and so the story of, you know, this, you know, sort of developing these independent schools for black children that didn't necessarily have to be members of the Nation of Islam or Muslim is a story that prior to seeing your, your um your play, as, as I, I mentioned, I had known, even though I went to Muhammad University of Islam, so I'm really looking forward to mm-hmm. our conversation about about you how, how came to to know this story and and you know and write it up and and share it with you know um, the audience that you shared it with when you you know had these these live productions and now sharing it you know extending it to a larger audience those of us who weren't able to be in those those public spaces. So um, you published and um, you're a published author online and in academic journals, your poet and playwright, with plays performed, staged and or read in the United States, Europe and the Middle East. Um, your regular presenter in the Acts of Faith Festival. Um your first major production, One God, was translated into Arabic, Spanish and Malay, and filmed by the local P B S uh, station in Arizona, and, pre- and Arizona is where you were you were born and raised although you're not there right now <laughs> and um and one guy was presented in private in uh in private to audiences a private audience to the late king uh Fad of Saudi Arabia wow ah, but that was really something
8: that was mm-hmm. that really was
0: <laughs> yeah yeah a
8: lot of people have
0: a place before a king <laughs> yeah 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 exactly um, a long-time board member of the Islamic Writers' Alliance, um, you, are, you are also Artistic Director of Woven Orbits and a member of African Women Playwrights and International Center of Women Playwrights. You have won numerous playwriting and poetry contests. You've had short stories and poetry included in several books, and your poetry has been featured in Aziza magazine. Um, You've had articles printed in the Muslim Journal and had scholarly articles included in the Journal for Islamic Studies and Culture. Uh, You are artistic director of Woven Orbits uh, Theater, where a list of your plays presented includes uh, Carrying the Load, The Life and Times of Sister Claire Muhammad, which we will be speaking about today, This Truth, A Gray Echo, (laughs) A Story of the Largest Uprising in the Americas Led by Muslims. Is that the one in in, uh, Brazil? That you were telling me about? Yes. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes. Now, who doesn't know, right? You don't hear about Muslims in Brazil, and particularly warrior women, right? Because this, this, uh, this <laughs> uprising was led by a, a woman, an African woman yes, in Brazil.
4: Was.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. You told me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And another, uh, I guess, I don't know if this is a play, but 16 of 19 Reasons Why My Soul Has Grown Deep. It's a presentation. Yes. Commemorating 400 years in the Americas. Did you do that um, in uh, in 2019?
8: Yes, I did it in 2019. Um, uh, where? I got, I actually, I did it free at the um, the main Richmond uh, Public Library. It was just mm-hmm. uh, Virginia in general was doing things to commemorate that um, event, and so that was mm-hmm. my contribution. And it was a combination of um, spoken word. Uh, poetry and film—you know—the artists came together, and you know it's a nice uh, vignette. People uh, that one, uh, maybe because it was free, we just completely filled up the uh, area, and people really gave the artists a standing ovation at the end mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. was—you know—something is even better than you thought it would be because the actors were feeding off of the audience. It was. Uh, mm-hmm. I have that on film too, so maybe I'll
0: throw that up. Oh. Right. <laughs> yeah, you should. That would be really great. Yeah, because I was at the uh, the 400 years of African American return. Um, you know, there at the um, uh, Fort Monroe uh, National Monument that that weekend. You know, the twenty well, the, I guess twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth. Hm. Yes. You yeah. yeah I was there, we could have. Yeah. Yeah. Because um. Yeah, we, yeah, we could we have definitely. Mhm. Yeah, and and it was just really marvelous, you know, with Common and the Voices of, of blackness that Saturday, you know, evening, you know, mm-hmm. at the big concert. But, you know, what I really liked and and I'm glad you you mentioned it in uh, Richmond, Virginia, was um, you know, when the governor of Virginia, you know, who had, you know, made that major um, you know, faux pas uh, you know, that um and people were calling for him to resign from his office you know mm-hmm. all these things he set in place you know to um to show you know um with with tangible changes in the legislation um how yeah. he you know he was really sorry that he said what he said cuz you know racism is something you know it's like you breathe it it's like in the air right and right. If, and if you're a white person i'm like man they should have been masking way before us right I'm talking about figuratively and spiritually, right? <laughs> but they don't have to notice right. it, right? And then now, since you know, with the hypersensitivity and and the the way that we have so many ways to capture, um, you know, whatever people say, it's not like you can say it and it, you know, no one will ever know. If you say anything and you are a person who's in a public platform, somebody's probably recorded it. <laughs>
8: <laughs> That's true. That's to come That's
0: very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um yeah, so when I was just thinking about that cuz someone was mentioning how um having someone resign is not always the best the best um antidote for yes. for when somebody um you know makes a mistake, they they you know because because he still has the power, he could do all these things. Cause remember when he was naming and I, I it's been like it has it's been two years ago so I don't remember everything he said. But he was naming all of the different like the stuff that was happening in the schools and the things that were happening mm-hmm. in, the, in the economy so that black people could have better, you know, opportunities to be able to make more money in their careers and in their with their labor. I mean, it was just like he was just hitting everything. I'm like, Whoa, this is really, <laughs>
8: really, really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I lived through it, so... <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah,
3: but uh, yeah. I think
8: everyone tries to give themselves an opportunity to redeem themselves. I think for him it was a growth experience. <laughs> yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because racism it permeates the... Uh, it permeates America, like you say, is in the air. That at the time that he was in Blackface, he probably uh, didn't even realize how insulting it was. It's more like a a college prank and his mind mm-hmm. at the time as he grew he knew that it wasn't but as a youngster because it's so pervasive then I don't think that he even thought about it because he doesn't seem to have the type of character the way you see some people with, uh, like the folks that stormed the Capitol where it's very deliberate and this is what I mean Mhm. right right yeah yeah yeah
0: redemption Mhm. yes and and you have an upcoming project and it's uh, Breath Less. You have two yeah. that you list here, but I'm sure you have many more. But you know, mm. you, you know, you were thinking about space. <laughs> I was like, right. Okay. Well, yes. I want the woman to actually talk to me, so I can't like put all my whole life here because you're just like I'm sure like every time you, every day you probably have a new idea. Um. Anyway, and then the other one is Monumental Colors for the 2021 season. So that's coming up. Um, I don't know about breath, less, um, but we were talking about some of your projects. So, again, welcome, 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 Sister uh, Mahasin, Thank you. and uh Thank you. Yeah, so tell us about Sister Clara Muhammad and this wonderful work and how people can see it.
8: Okay, so um, this last weekend was uh, Savior's Day weekend, and so... Um, I thought it might be a good idea to uh, finally share the Sister Clara Muhammad uh, play online on YouTube at my Woven Orbit YouTube channel. And the uh, particular video is actually a video of a live play that was done about five years ago. And it was part of the uh, Richmond Acts of Faith Festival. So it, you know, it ran for, you know, I guess four or five days, um, I can't remember how many days it was, but it ran, and uh, we filmed a couple, of, um, a couple of the performances. And the play had taken me a long time. It really took me about uh, nine years to get that play where I wanted it to be. And we're trying to make it, or I attempted to make it as authentic as possible as far as with the nuances and the information, because this is a play about someone's life. The most remarkable thing I want to say about the play that was very difficult to do, but I did it, was nowhere in the play does the Honorable Elijah Muhammad appear. And other people who reviewed the play, other playwrights, you know, before I put it out there, every last one of them came back and they said, how can you write a play about Susan Muhammad and not have, you know, this brother in it? And I said, it's because it is about Sister Claire Muhammad that he is deliberately not given any scenes because when you write plays, other people are going to produce it. And another director or producer might become hyper-focused on Elijah Muhammad and therefore downplay Sister Claire Muhammad. So the best thing to do to eliminate that, and this is something that a lot of women playwrights, you know, struggle with, is like how can we make sure that the woman character is the star, that her story is told, and she's not an afterthought in relation to the man. So, this play is not to declare as the afterthought, who she is as Elijah Muhammad's wife, but who she is as Clara uh, Evans Poole Muhammad. And Mm -hmm. uh, that part took a while to, you know, configure that, you know, so that that didn't happen, you know, how it developed in the future, and, um, you know, my own um, experiences, and then uh, interviewing years ago, but I've always been a writer, even as a young person, uh, interviewing um, sisters who knew Sister Clara Muhammad and ancestors and brothers. Um, when I, I'm actually born in Colorado, but then I moved to uh, Arizona. And in Arizona, down with Elijah Muhammad, he has uh, a house right there on Violet Drive. And as a child, um, and as a young person, even as a teenager, I mean, for years, when I lived in the area, we, you know, we lived in the area. They were welcoming uh, people, so we would be at their house and in their living room or, you know, in their kitchen and downstairs in the basement, right? So this was just the access That um, we were given because of their particular welcoming nature. And as I grew up up, and I was a young woman in my 20s and by then both Al-Elijah Muhammad and Muhammad had passed away and my sister had um, gotten married and she was in Chicago and I went to visit her and her husband had become displaced. Um, And so they were for I guess a week and a half uh, staying in the uh, lower level of, of Sister uh, Tahida uh, mahmood And <laughs> as it turned out, this sister was the one of the first principals of the Muhammad University of Islam back in Detroit. And so when I went to visit my sister, right, the sister started talking to me, and I was like, what? And then I remembered you know, the things of the child and then go back and forth to the house and see that the caretaker, Sister Frances Queen, was a caretaker. Her and Brother Albert, they were caretakers to the house. So they would say, when we come over and Sister Cara Muhammad, by then, as we got over before she had passed away, she was telling us how we need to behave and sit. If and Sister Clara was, was present, this is what she would expect of us. And so I already had these stories in my head about Sister Clara and then when I met this sister who was a close friend of uh, Sister Clara Muhammad then I, you know she just started talking about it right, because my um, my brother-in-law I guess was volunteering at the uh, the school, you know, to teach on the weekends and when she started talking about it, it's almost like a light bulb went off and then I was uh, in my late 20s and I said, I'm going to write this story. And and you know how you just put it, it, you know, put it on the shelf, put a pin in it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's coming, right? It's coming. And so I did, I put a pin in it, and then I started just doing research. And at that time, there wasn't as much. Since then, I see quite a few more books and theses that have been written by sisters and brothers who are looking at that history and recording what has gone on on the dissertation level. So there's a lot more information than when I first started. But it did allow me to, in an artistic form, start to develop that story. And I think that what really got me was what the sister said back in those early days when she was teaching her children at home, the police came to the door because they were trying to remove her students. And I said, well, I think I've heard that story before. And she said, well, what you didn't know was that our community was, at that time, very small, not like the way it is now, where there's thousands of Muslims. So then you were just talking about a few, uh, you know, maybe a hundred or so Muslims. But even with that, they were uh, willing and were arrested and uh, put in jail and proven off of Elijah Muhammad. But that did not make Sister Claire Muhammad afraid. As a matter of the fact, that's when she got it firmly in her mind, we're going to establish some schools on our own. And that's what mm-hmm. she did. And, of course, like yourself, you were saying that she yourself graduated from Muhammad University of Islam that uh, for a while, I mean, there was a time when there were hundreds of them. Um, now, those schools that are in that Muhammad um, Consortium and the Muhammad University of Islam, right, there's fewer of them but the ones that exist are perhaps better equipped. Um, they're, you know, they're accredited, they're larger, right? You know, they're more modern day um, than they were with before. We had a period of time where people, you know, maybe at the temple or at the mosque, that they would just have a small school that needs needs of the people. But meeting the needs of the people, it did, because a lot of scholars, I'm looking at your resume, I said, this is very educated all right, very, very educated, all right, and a lot of brothers and sisters who had that education as their foundation because it it is a fact that when we teach our own, we come out better for it. It is just a fact because our teachers are concerned about us. They're going to make sure that we get that information. They're giving us that discipline and that guidance, and that's not something that the public schools say. Right. And at that time, the public school, you know, doing Jim Crowism, um, the, the children, the Muhammad children that were going to school there, they were going to school in the cold and traffic, They would have one heater in the room. The kids are all right. They literally had rats and stuff in the building. And um, naturally, that was completely unacceptable. There is no one who wants the child to be educated in that manner. No one. Right. So. Um, she is, of course, the pioneer, and the Muhammad University Claire Muhammad school system is the first and longest-running African-American uh, parochial, so to speak, uh, school system in the United States, right, because it's been continuous since the 30s, and um, that is not the main message, but it is kind of the main message for the Sister Claire Muhammad uh story, the part that was presented, you know, because it's actually a full length play, but we only really presented the first act. Right. The uh, second act, you know, when the load gets heavy, deals with Sister Clara Muhammad being older and, you know, so sort the of things that she went to really run into the nation of Islam. Right. But it's still her story. Um, mm-hmm. I find that when we present it, most of the time I always have a talk back. So I have to talk back and people they want to know about the school, you know, where the idea came from. I have a few people who, um, senior citizens, are like, oh, you know, this takes me back. And, uh, one brother asked me, he said, well, how did you get the nuances? I said, we get the nuances because part of it is stuff that we ourselves lived, right? And then part of it is the things that we're researching to make sure that we get the nuances because anytime you're doing a Artistic presentation about someone who actually lived. You want to do as much justice. Obviously, you're taking artistic license, but you want to do as much justice to that person as possible. And uh, that was my intention. I said, I want people to know this sister's story, who she was, and how much of an influence she has had on. Mm Muslim-Americans, and that's just it in a nutshell, the influence of this one woman um, on Muslim-Americans. Sometimes I get a little choked up when I'm talking about it, (laughs) because it's close to me, right? And it's an absolute honor to be able to do something that um, I'm connected to it. Right, I'm connected to this story, but I mean, I was a student who went there, and then years later, I was um, a teacher, you know, teaching there. And then years later, I was a parent who had children there. So for us, I mean, for me and my family, it's been a, a circle. It's like there's nothing about this particular school system that we do not find beneficial. And I come from a family where all of my brothers and sisters, all six of us, graduated from college. I and my children, all six of my children, I mean, all three of my children graduated from college and everybody's moving to higher education, right? So it's a proven method that shows that if you have this kind of foundation, it creates that curiosity in you to be your best self. And Mm -hmm. that's uh, what I think Sister Sarah Muhammad wanted. She wanted to take these seeds that were planted into the minds of Black children because when she took 400, I was able to convince 400 um, black children, right, left the public school system and came mm-hmm. to the buildings that they had there in Detroit to be basically homeschooled, right, or private schools by these members that were, and that wasn't even called the nation to something, then, but this nation of Muslims, 400, that is a lot of children. And yes. those weren't all Muslim children. Those were African-American children who said, parents and families who said, look, the Detroit public school system is not doing right by us <laughs> in any way, and therefore, we're going to trust our own. And a lot of people who migrated up to Detroit at that time were, of course, people from the South. And so the South people, you know, we understood freedom school, right? And we understood mm-hmm. Uh, putting our, place, our children in a place that would make them safe, right, and where the people that are teaching them care about them now and what they can and will be in the future, all right? So even that, that's just an awesome story because when the first time that has resonated with me, 400, 400 is not 40. 400 doesn't all fit in one room. Right, you know mm-hmm. that means they all up, all up and down this building. You know what I mean? Every room right. is full of children being taught. Right. It's like whoa. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually started making a whole play of just that, but I couldn't get the nuance. I said, oh man, this is going to take a lot to get the nuances for that to be, you know, in the '30s and you know this building in Detroit and this uh, whole scene. So that, that has to be a future project because. When people come to that, I want them to feel it. Like, what? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see how that was and how beautiful. I right, let me take a pause.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, um, you know, because it was, it was a real fight, you know. I mean, you really, you do capture um, uh, how the state was against, you know, black parents' uh taking charge of their children's education, it was as if you're not free. You know, we know what's best for you. We're real paternalistic and disrespectful, you know, when you that scene where, you know, you have the person from the school board or the school district coming to her apartment and just walking around like he owns it. And then he sees, you know, one of the children, The I guess the eldest, Emmanuel, and says, you know, we're going to get right. him and get all these other children, and we're going to take them from you, and we're going to throw you and your husband in prison, um,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
0: because you are not um, submitting, you know, to our our right. uh, demands. And she's like, no, you are not taking our children. We are going to educate our children. And then just the creativity, you know, when – you know the family had, and I don't want to spoil the story. You know, but you know when when um, Sister Claire Muhammad and her husband had to leave because they were being persecuted, um, mm-hmm. and and the government, you know, shut the schools down. What they did, right? And I'm just thinking,
7: right. You know, so that
0: whole idea of homeschool, it didn't start. It didn't start with COVID nineteen, right? Um, no. <laughs> it it started, you know, a long time <laughs> before the independent black school a lot of times people don't really sort of recognize the Muhammad University and Sister Claire Muhammad Schools as the foundation of that.
4: Um, yeah, you know, and also and making
0: it legitimate, right? I mean, they look le- you know, Sister Claire Muhammad School, you know, the name that Muhammad University of Islam, you know, was changed to by her son, um, you know, um, Imam Warati Mohammed, um, you know, they legitimized this. And then, and then you know we have you know the Black Panther Party, you know the school, you know that they right. had. But Sister Claire Muhammad's School precedes that by a, a lot, by a
8: lot of years, right? <laughs> right, by a good fifty. And really, when yeah. I was talking to um, Sister um, Tahita, right, mm-hmm. she, because we were talking about the school, and she mentioned um, that one of the reasons why. Imam Muhammad wanted to name the schools after his mother was because Mm -hmm. of the things that his mother went through to establish the school system, Mm -hmm. and um, that kind of resonated. I said, "What? What did she do? Did she, you know, she started?" Well, see, what she was doing was right now. This was a woman who herself really, I guess, at the most, had will be considered a high school education, but she still sat her children down at her table and started to teach them. And it also shows how, as African Americans how we begin to network, okay? So maybe I don't know trigonometry and calculus, but I can find somebody who does and have them volunteer and have them teach the children because the students that were in the school were not all toddlers, right? They basically taught children from three um, Mm -hmm. up to uh, teenagers, right? Um, High Mm school-age children. All right, mm-hmm. so um and that is a lot. Um you know, if you ran out of town and the police are looking to lynch you or, or do something, and your response is, Oh, okay, uh, so we're gonna do it over here now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. that takes a lot because <laughs> Because yes, yes. my response would be, oh, okay, I'm, I'm scared. Her her response was, oh, okay, so we're going to do it over here. Well, we were over there on first street, <laughs> now we're going to go over here on the third. <laughs> you know, and that mm-hmm. that's a, a, a lot, right? And even more so when you think that when she's saying, oh, okay, we're just going to do over here, her husband had been put in jail. So she's doing this knowing full well she doesn't even have the backing of her husband to meet the people at the door and fight them. She's like, meet me at the door this is happening and I'm just gonna move down here now all right mm-hmm. and you know deal with it right so that's a, right. that's a strong sister she's, she's a little sister but she's a strong black woman
0: yeah how how tall was she tell me tell us sort of you
8: know her her um stature like was she short you know uh yeah she was short um mm-hmm. brown skinned and uh I just kind of only you know because my recollection of her is as a young person, so when I saw her, she, you know, appeared old. <laughs> I don't know if she really was old. When you think children perceive anybody over thirty is old, oh my Right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> 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 but but she was uh, you know, slim, um very ladylike and she had a a, a rich voice. I do remember that. Just the voice. I think that's probably the only thing. It's like an echo it, in my mind. I can't even remember what she said. Just that I remember that um, rich voice that she came from. Uh, you know, that came from her. And I guess um, you know, there's many brothers and sisters in the United States who um, probably could speak on that better than me. Folks who are older who were um, in their presence with children just have a certain kind of recollection. Uh, one thing is that um, there's, sometimes when you think about Donald Elijah Muhammad and Sister Claire Muhammad, you know, they came from very humble beginnings, right? And then they worked hard, they brought that work ethic and then they brought that understanding and a plan of a new religion that wasn't relying on some things that perhaps they felt um, weren't as good for the African-American community at that time. That uh, when you see these these people, as an example of what we should be, the one thing that they always were and for mm-hmm. past because they're from the south, was welcoming right? right because look at the access that I had to these people's home
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what right. I mean just because right. I lived in the
8: area <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right you know? right. and I think a lot of times you know there's stars in their mind, and at this particular time for me because um, I'm born in the sixties at this time they' uh you know, as long as the 30s, 40s, or 50s, uh, like the like is the plant is growing, it's big, and right. Um, and that was happening, um, you know, in the early 70s when uh, I was in their home. So it's like a lot of times, so at this point, they're literally superstars. And even as superstars, they are, still have this, you're part of us, uh, you can come, I'm going to serve you. Right. Here's some, pie, you know, this kind of thing. And this is this is the type of graciousness that uh, she attempted to pass on uh, to women who were part of the nation of Islam with her own uh, graciousness and a gracious woman. She was for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Right. And, and I was telling you, um, you know, um, as you know, we bring our conversation um, this this you know cuz we're going to have other conversations but this one <laughs> to to <laughs> right. home, um i, I was uh, cuz i know you're at work and on lunch um we were talking about how you know uh sister Claire Mohammed when she was you know Claire Evans um she eloped you know with with uh yes. you know um Elijah Poole um and i was thinking maybe her her family didn't uh, necessarily approve of the um of the marriage of their their daughter and and I thought if I remember correctly that that she was in school still um when she was eloping um but I'm not sure if if I heard that correctly and and then later on, when we see them in in Detroit because it was really hard for the family um you know to make a living in Georgia, and so you know as as a lot of black families did, you know, they migrated uh, a little further north, north south, right? To Detroit. Right. <laughs> and um and and um and the family was still struggling, only they had now they had this really horrible cold weather, you know, to try to right. weather, you know, as as, you know, they try to feed the children and clothe them. And and it was really tough on on, you know, Elijah um pool at that time. And um and and he, he drank. And, right. and meanwhile, you know, Sister Clara uh, Muhammad, well, Clara, you know, Evan, Evans Pool at that time, you know, she was just trying to like um, make ends meet and still support, and she still loved her husband, but and she understood, you know, why he was self medicating, right? Why he was drinking? Mm-hmm. Why he, why he wouldn't come home because you know he was being emasculated by these these uh, welfare systems, social welfare systems that. You know, penalize people for poverty, right? Like, okay, right. we want to help you, but we're gonna make you feel like dirt. Um but dirt's kinda of, right. kind like do. dirt. It's we're gonna make you feel less than human because you need help. Like what? And it's not everybody that right. made it feel that way. And it's not like it's coming out of their the people who are making people feel horrible. It's not like it's coming out of their pocket. It's not even charity. It's something that it's a government thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. I never quite understood that, but that's, you know, that's sort of like, you know, the racism and the and the dehumanization of, of, of black people. That's sort of a part of the architecture of this nation. Um, but she still was like, you know, supporting him, like, you know, like, and, and then they had friends, you know, that would go get him and bring him home. And it was just like, you know, that whole complexity of the relationship. You show, you really show that and you could have skipped all that because I didn't
8: know this. But you didn't skip it. Yeah. Well, I thought it was integral to understanding the character of this sister. Mm-hmm. Right? Because look how uh, understanding she was. And it was true that his family, Donald um, Elijah, Elijah Muhammad's family, were considered what they called poor dirt farmers. Whereas, mm-hmm. to Clara's family, they owned land. And they just really didn't want to, you know, the family was against it. And so that is the reason why uh, they mm-hmm. eloped amongst other things, right? But showing the struggle also shows the transformation because um, Detroit, they expected things of Detroit and we were disappointed. And this is the story of our people who left the South and went North. We expected jobs and respect, and what we got was ghettos and unemployment, right? And so that's our story. And so how do you respond to that? Okay, so then we showed how this sister the response in real life, right? This is right. how she responded. And then that message that, you know, they heard on Hastings Street, <laughs> how much that changed her husband and therefore changed their whole lives. And by doing so, because I, and also I did not want to, um, I could talk about it, but I wasn't really comfortable actually representing the only Elijah Muhammad in that state. Right. Yeah. Um, you can talk about it and then show the trans, you know, uh, show through the scenes how we evolved out of that, but it is a story of hope because anyone who's looking at that can see that no matter how dire or uncomfortable your circumstances are, when you have the right message and reinforcement and support from people, you can literally raise yourself out of the gutter to become whatever it is that God has meant for you to be. And those particular scenes are meant to relay that good message that, um, you know, the uh, the future of any man, a strong man is going to be strong because of what the support he gets from his woman, a very strong man recognizes and knows, that his woman is supporting him, and that's what pushes him forward. A weak man is like, ah, oh, you know, you're not doing enough or whatever, right? But look how this sister and her husband, how they changed. These uh, people are in, not just on Wikipedia, the history of America. They uh, A number of years, I think in the 90s, they, uh, Pew Research uh, did a survey, and they found that 73% of um African-American Muslims, people that consider themselves Muslims, are somehow rather affiliated with that one movement. Okay, Mm -hmm. 73%. That is a huge amount of people, right? And folks Mm -hmm. like my family, where we have generational Muslims, you know, three and four generations, you were able to return us to something that had been taken from us just by bringing that message and bringing it at the time and I also feel like what I attempted to do in this play was put things in perspective because some people don't understand the message of the nation of Islam. When you see this play and you see it from perspective, then it starts to light bulbs go off like, oh, wait, okay, wait a minute. I see that now. And a lot of times when we've had our talkbacks, the people in the room have expressed that. They say, you know, when you put it in perspective, some of the things that I've heard or seen, I thought now that makes more sense to me as to how that develops. And that's, um, you know, art allows you to do things that lecturing sometimes can't do because people close their mind. But in art, you're being entertained and educated at the same time.
0: Right, that's so true. And and like I mentioned, um, you know, because you, uh, and and I had noticed until you to you stated it earlier in our conversation that you never showed uh, Sister Claire Muhammad's husband you know Mm now i'm elijah muhammad and i'm like that's so true um because Mm -hmm. yeah then that would have shifted the focus from her to him and i thought Mm -hmm. it was really interesting you know that 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 you know trying to help figure out how to help him feel um in more control of his life you know when she heard about this man speaking you know and he would pay you to come hear him speak you know, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, that was kinda cool. And um <laughs> but then um yeah, but you know, just sort of knowing the story of, of her husband's um, you know, um struggle, you know, around around being a man in America and and, and in right. society, like pushing back on that, like, no, you're not a man. And you know, that sign that the real classic sign of the protest and the brothers have on I Am a Man, right? And it's a silent protest. I am They're wearing that sign and they're walking, I am a man. Um right. and the whole idea of even to date, oh. you know, the reason why our people are being killed by the police, right? Is because our right. humanity is not recognized. And how how long you know, how long are our elders gonna be called, you know, uncle? You know? Like for real? hmm As opposed to mister? Like really? And and our right. and our and our mothers, you know, called, you know girl. As opposed to ma'am and and Mrs you know or right. or Madame, or you know like like how long he right. have it's to working. live goodness gracious um <laughs> right. yeah, but just but just you know that that sort of you know showing that struggle and particularly with you know with alcohol you know with with a, a substance and and showing mm-hmm. you know that that's just indicative of the illness that um you know he was trying to treat right. <laughs> um right. it, I you know, it, it was just so liberating because there are so many of our our men and women and children that are picking up, you know, various types of of um uh different kinds of, of, of medications. You know, alcohol,
3: mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm.
0: crack, you know, prescription stuff. Right. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. cigarettes even, you know, um, to try to like be able to manage this this anxiety and this stress and this grief that being a black person in America kind of brings up, you know, by by you know both direct trauma and secondary trauma. You know, when you see somebody being killed that looks like your son, or your or your or your um, brother, you know, that affects all of us, right?
8: That it does. Mm-hmm. That it does.
0: Yeah, it is yeah. totally so,
8: amazing. But uh, yeah, beautiful job. I am so glad that you <laughs> that you, you you got it. Right, you got it. And uh, definitely, because I've had a number of people email me and says, oh, you know, please. And I said, okay. Um, I'm definitely, uh, um, you know, just not have it up there for a week. I mean, it's uh, Women's History Month as well. And um, I usually do things for Women's History Month anyway, so I can uh, allow that to be there. I have, um, you know, two other things that are uh, coming in. You know, uh, in production, uh, one of them we've already gone through the rehearsal for it. So uh, I'll put that a uh, breathless is well, it's just really dealing with uh, the issues of racism in this country, and um, it's short but very powerful, um, and so kind of flows. And um, then Monumental Colors really deals with uh, last June. In the capital of the Confederacy here in uh, Richmond, there was a huge rally and people came and they graffitied and tore down the Confederate monuments that are on Monument Avenue in Richmond. And uh, Richmond was so arrogant that they actually had a long street, you know, that went on for miles, where they had um, monuments to Jefferson Davis and um, Robert Lee and uh, all of the Confederate people, right? Now, these people lost the war, right? But yet, still, they have these, and these things are huge. And when I first moved into this area, uh, I saw those things, and I'm wonder what these things are. And so, you know, you look, look at them like, I'm not going to pay attention to that. But when they were graffiti, there was something about the graffiti, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why, but there was something about the graffiti that um, inspired me. And so then I ended up writing. I'm just standing there in the midst of this crowd, in the midst of COVID, with this mask on, and I just became inspired. Um, so then I had, you know, pictures and things of the movement, right, uh, because that was the significant thing. I mean, we We're in the height of COVID, but everybody was like, this is the last black man that you're going to murder in front of us for being black. This is just it. We're sick of it. And so it was very, very, very intense. But in that intensity, it, it kind of like reminds me of having a baby. how you have a baby. It's like uh, really, really, really intense. And there's like a lot of pain. But then something beautiful emerges from that. And being part of that experience, that's what I got from that was that, Something very, very beautiful. Did you just hear a I heard the doorbell or something? Oh I,
0: <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Did you hear a doorbell?
8: <laughs> oh, okay. Alright, I guess that was on your, my end. It's like I hear a doorbell. <laughs> it's like is somebody, is somebody anyways, getting so it? those are the things No, no, you know what? I just realized that was coming off on of my computer. Oh. All right, because I switched pages. I said, oh, okay, wait a minute. let me make sure I don't have the sound on my computer. I don't think the sound is coming through. Like, okay. Uh, no, it's not. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are
0: good.
7: Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll do that. <laughs> All right,
8: but those yeah. are two of the projects coming up. We'll keep okay. the, uh, the Sister Claire Muhammad play is on the Woven Orbit YouTube, so you can go to YouTube and then type in "woven orbits," and um, then you know you'll see the the full film of that particular production. And that production it shows the uh, a video of the 2016 one of the performances. And at the last end, I have the performance from the following year when we did the play up in DC.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: And um, some of the cast members were different, and I thought, well, if I'm going to, you know, put it on YouTube, let's let all of the cast members have an opportunity to be seen. Um, okay. You know, right. Most of the cast members are, are not looking people themselves, mm-hmm. right? They, you know, they're actors and actresses, so naturally they, <laughs> you know, they want the press.
0: <laughs> yes,
8: of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So what's the run? Um, I know that... Um it, um, you know, you um, you went live on February 27th and it's through March what?
8: Um, initially it was going to be through March 7th. I think now we're going to go ahead and take it through the
6: 21st. 21st, um, and that's oh, only okay. because
8: uh, the 21st, right? Only because we have uh, another um, you know, another performance that was already scheduled, you know, for around that time. So, was, uh, uh, you know, I don't like stuff even my own stuff. I don't want my own stuff competing. And I want to give each one of the artists a chance for you to shine. This is um, your story. So this is your story. I want everybody to still be on that story, um, you know, because uh, we'll do it, as we say, we'll do it again, right? right. Definitely do it yeah. again. So that that gives people enough time to stick on it and see it there on YouTube. And, um, the uh, enjoy it and pass the word along, right? And it looks like, because I, I looked at it early this morning, I, we just put it up Saturday and it looks like we have maybe about 200 views so far. So um, mm-hmm. it's on its way where people are like, oh, okay, let's see it. Right? And I'm glad that people are enjoying and appreciate what they see.
0: Mhm, yeah it's excellent. It's really excellent. I'm um, glad it's gonna be up a little longer yeah and i I link to the youtube um channel um in uh in the description, so people who are um you know listening now or listen later, you could just go to the description and it's linked um to the name of the uh of the play, so you don't have to search for it yeah and and we're gonna be having more conversations um uh, the future. Yeah. So um, so that's really wonderful so people can, you know, get used to your voice and uh, and see what you've been up to since we last talked to you.
3: Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, yes, we're going
0: to have you I on next that. month uh, sharing some poetry. So that's going to be fun during National oh, yes, Poetry Month. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank uh, you so much that. for this beautiful work and for your work, and I'm really looking forward to um, when you um, air the um the story of the the Sister Warrior out of uh, Bahia. I want to hear about, I want to oh, yes. see that one. That's, <laughs> that's going to be lovely. Do you plan on yes. maybe yes.
8: Um, airing that? Uh, yes, I think uh, we'll do that as well, right? Cool. Um, yeah, that Excellent. was really, really exciting uh, to do. I think the, the most fun we had with that play was recreating the tobacco field. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we really got into it, you know, creating that tobacco and the leaves and and uh, um, cutting uh, out material and then coloring it so that it looked like tobacco leaves. And the people came in the room and they said, why do you guys go for so much authenticity? I said, we're trying to set the stage so it y'all feel like you're right there.
0: <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah,
8: yeah it was like, if we're going to go, we're going to go all out. We're going to have <laughs> hmm
0: Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly. Okay. <laughs>
8: Yeah. Cool, yes. Cool. Yes. Inshallah. So definitely, I put that right. So those are things coming along the way. Um, inshallah. So, and, and uh, we appreciate. I absolutely appreciate this opportunity to share this with everyone, and get the word out. Right. Um, and all, always, always. If you are an artist, <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, please you can contact us at uh, wovenorbit at gmail dot com right, you know, send a headshot or, you know, your resume, because I'm always looking for actors and actresses, and I do both things, I do my own thing, and I also, you know, sponsor actors and actresses for their performances, you know, help them find venues, or if they can't find a venue, then I create a venue, right, and I'm the one who will, you know, make the event and then, um, you know, promote it and stuff out there so that the artists can perform. Right, cool. That's Super. how you get back to the community. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Right. Great. Yeah. Well, you take good care. And again, it's so it's so wonderful. Um, you know, becoming um aware of your work and uh, and this conversation was just really enlightening. Really appreciate it. Yes, and man. yeah, looking forward to the next one.
8: All right, then I appreciate it too. And I am gonna just go ahead and pop off here. Right. I got a couple other things I need to do, but I have enjoyed our time. And yes, um, inshallah, we'll be able to work together definitely next uh, in April for oh um, it's already March, right? So next month, right, for yeah. National Poetry Month, right? Mm-hmm. And thank you yeah. and thank you for everyone <laughs> who is
0: listening. <laughs> oh, you're quite welcome. You take care. Have a good rest All of right. the day.
8: Yes, yes, yes you too. Blessing. all right Wally.
0: go to now so we're gonna close with uh, Marcus Shelby we're a winner from soul of the movement
4: you <laughs> I'm talking about Got to get the funk up in that mother We're a winner And never let anybody say Boy, you can't make it Cause a feeble mind is in your way But not watch us when we cry And we finally dried eye, And we're moving on up Moving on up Loud hammers And we're moving on up Moving on up We've been all the love that we're true the good black brothers, and we're, we're winners. Ah, and everybody knows it. Just keep on pushing now, like your leader tells you to. And as our blessings come, now I don't care where you come from. We all moving on up, moving on up. Now how much do we moving on? Like your leader tell you to let At last night, day days come And I don't care where you come from we just gonna move on up Move on up Lord have mercy, we're moving on up moving on up We just keep on moving on up moving on up Marching, marching and moving on up